Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. There's almost a quarter million titles to choose from for any platform you want to listen from. It's not slander if it's true. And what's this truth you plan on telling him today? Why are you so nervous about what I'm going to say to Father? Because you're a liar. I expect you'll tell lies about me, about Joffrey. Any lies in particular? You're a clever man. But you're not half as clever as you think you are. Mm. Still makes me more clever than you. Good morrow, wisdoms and red priestesses, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, Tapper of the Zero Point. And I'm Lady Kristen of House McWuggle Burgino, holder of dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I had nothing. (laughs) And this is Game of Microphones, episode 63. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 1, Valar Doharis. Doharis or Doharis? Uh, I've heard it a couple different ways. People say Doharis or, or Dohairis or uh, Doharis. I don't know. I, it depends I, how high Valerian you really are. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> depends about your social status. And what else you're bastardizing it with. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Valar Doharis. That's... <laughs> That's how we're going to say it today. Filar Dario Naharis. <laughs> yes, Filar Dario Naharis. <laughs> Marishka Haggerty. <laughs> oh, man, I lost where we were. <laughs> okay. Uh, and just in case you're not familiar already, this is a spoiler-filled podcast from the perspective of someone who's current at Season 7, Episode 7. So enter at your own risk. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I'm so excited we're in season three. Oh, I know. This is a good season two. I say that about every season, though. Well, Storm of Swords is one of my top three books I've ever read of all time. Oh, wow. So I was really excited to get to seasons three and four because they split up those two seasons. Oh, right. They split um, that book into two seasons. Which I think was brilliant. I think, Definitely. It, it, you know, it's the best book of all of them. That's just in my opinion. And I'm sure a lot I think of people agree. They did a fantastic job with uh, book to script or book to <laughs> yeah. film. Book, book to, to screen. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Page to uh, pixel. Yeah. That's pretty cool. (laughs) So first impression, what do you think of this episode? Um, you know what? I really liked it. I, I liked, um, I liked the setup. I liked, um, kind of getting started. It was kind of like we didn't, and I know that we only podcasted on the finale last week, but (laughs) there was no, there was no real sense of lag time. Like they kind of picked (laughs) up right where they left off. None of that famous game of Thrones, 50 weeks off or or longer. (laughs) 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, it has not been six months this time. Because I think between season one and season two, I think we established it had been six months. Right. Oh, in terms of the uh, the time gap. Mm hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't really um, thought about it. I think I think we actually mentioned it. It just. It was a long time ago that we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 10 weeks. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah. Time flies. I know. <laughs> um, how about you? I, th- I love it, man. This, uh, anything. Uh, there's uh, there's just so much good stuff in this episode. I don't want to talk about it until we get to our top five. So let's just jump right in so we can start talking to it. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> you want to go first? Uh, Sure. I have like a lot of kind of like broad ideas um, awesome. this week. Um, but I just wanted to talk about the cold open for a second. Ooh, um, yes, good, good point. I, I hadn't realized this is like the first cold open or, or second this, this or something. Second, yeah, yes, the second cold the open. Premiere, right? So I looked up online because I know that they don't make a habit out of cold opens. This particular show, and they have done six cold opens total so far through season seven. Yeah, wow. Uh, the first one was season one, episode one, uh, when it was the wall. Um, hang on one second. Okay. Uh, with the scene North of the wall, introducing the white walkers and the night watch, uh, season three, episode one, uh, which was this week, uh, that begins with Sam Tarley fleeing the whites and white walkers that we'll talk about in just a second. Season four, episode one was, uh, ice getting forged into oath keeper and widow's whale. Uh, season five, episode one was Cersei and the Maggie, the frog, uh, prophecy, uh, season six, episode seven was my, one of my second favorite cold open, mm-hmm. which was the, uh, the hound reappearing Ooh, in our life. The broken man. Yeah. That's a great episode. And then, um, season seven, episode one with my all time favorite cold open, which was Arya killing off the entire fray house extinguished so, uh, so there's some pretty big moments that they chose to do for the cold opens and uh this is <laughs> really no no different you know yeah. um sam just escaped inexplicably <laughs> from, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from the white walkers to the from answer that surrounded. we still don't really have yeah um and, you know, and then I noticed when he does, you know, the first words out of his mouth is brother, right? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I just think is so profound anyways, considering, you know, this friendship that um, that John and, and Sam have. Because when he turns and he sees this headless watchman, I noticed the head kind of looks like John a little oh, bit. Oh, man. Which probably kind of sent him reeling a little bit. And then all of a sudden, Ghost comes out of nowhere, which, you know, Ghost doesn't go out of his way for just anybody. Yeah, that's a great point, too. That's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Or I hadn't really even connected that. Oh, Ghost is here without John. I was just like, oh, cool, Ghost. (laughs) I'm just kind of like taking notes, like not necessarily (laughs) picking up on everything. Like, that's awesome, though. Yeah, it's so great to see Ghost. I love that pup, man. I do too. I miss the dire wolves. Me too. I hope we get a good amount in season seven or season eight. I'm hoping for dire wolf army. You know, the the the, the generals of Nymeria and Ghost heading up this massive wolf pack from all around Westeros that Nymeria has been gathering for the past years, while Arya has been gathering her faceless man skills. 
Arya's been gathering faces and Nymeria's been gathering wolves. So like they come in at the at the last of the battle, like kind of <laughs> like like the the Knights of the Vale and battles of the ba- battle of the bastards, where like it looks like it's lost, and then there's like. Burr, burr, burr. And you see yeah. all these it's, wolves just descend on all these people. Yeah, except instead of burr, 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 it's oh, yeah, exactly. you know, and then just that's like much better. Yeah, that's the wolves <laughs> just come and it'll be like there. They'll be won't be attacking people because it'll be um, they wouldn't know who's good and who's bad, right? But if it's an army of the dead versus an army of humans, they'll know who to attack. Yes, right? yes. So we're gonna see. And ghost is ghost is what ghost and Nymeria <laughs> like lock eyes and they're yeah. like. Lock La, la, la. They're, like, like, <laughs> they're like fighting, you know, and stuff, and they run past each other and like high paw each other. Real we quick. should just write fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome. <laughs> we can train our own animals to to act it out too. Oh yeah, let's do that. I Travis, we'll use Travis's wolves. <laughs> yeah. Keep it in the family. And uh, Loki, my bird, my parrot, he can be the dragon. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> Maggie will be my uh, my dog Maggie. She'll just be the old blind maester up at the wall. Up at the wall. Oh, Spunk could do that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, that was uh, that was kind of my number five. Um, nice. Just the cold open in general, which I love a good cold open. So. Yeah, me too. It's always you know an impactful moment when you have like some tense thing happen, and then boom, 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 boom. You know, and it cuts into the mm. the credits of whatever show you're watching at the at the time. You know. Uh. But the Game of Thrones, uh, you know, I've I've seen comments with people saying like, why do we always have to, why do we have to hear Game of Thrones all the time? Like, why can't they shorten it? And then we'll have more story. (laughs) And it's like, because it's amazing. Because I get out my stupid pen and I think I'm a freaking conductor for the next two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's great. Best music ever. I love that voicemail we got from Anthony a couple months ago too. I don't know if you remember, but he was like, that was great. Call back, Anthony. <laughs> Sing more. Yeah. Sweet friend. Uh, how about you? What was your number five? My number five is the Tyrion and Bronn scene that we got. Because oh, cool. they're just awesome. And the last episode at the Battle of the Blackwater, a couple episodes ago, the last time we saw them interact, we learned that they are, in fact, friends, remember? So that yeah. was pretty cool. You know, they took their friendship to like, a, you know, solidified it as a friendship. And in this one, um, <laughs> Bronn plays off of that to get Tyrion to pay him a whole lot more money. Which is, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's great, though, because it's, it's, it makes sense. You know, he's, he's right. I, he, I agree with his logic. Uh, Tyrion does, too. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone along with it. Right. But mm-hmm. that's how much they respect each other. You know, um, Tyrion has this huge respect for Bronn. Bronn has a huge respect for Tyrion, so much so that he's about to, like, you know, get his freak on with this with this lovely hottie. And uh, Pod interrupts him, and uh, Jerome Flynn does an amazing acting job here as he looks so perturbed. <laughs> as he's, he's so into this moment, and Pod interrupts him. It's like, you're going to leave, or I will kill you, Pod. He's <laughs> like, I will murder you. <laughs> So that's great. And then when he finally shows up, right, 
and it, he puts the king's guard in their places. You know, oh look at these two shining warriors, <laughs> and he's uh, he's calling them names, sir, sir Terran Mant and sir Who's it of Who Cares? <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> uh, this and they respond, you're just some up jumped cutthroat, nothing more. And he's like, that's exactly who I am. I love it that they can't insult him. That's right. my favorite part. And Tyrion, it's too bad that he's inside the little room there because he'd be so proud at this moment. You know, they're using his his um, up-jumped cutthroat sellsword status against him, right? And he yeah. wears it like armor, just like Tyrion yep. says to do to Jon Snow with his bastardy, right? So, so Bronn wears it like armor so nobody can hurt him with it and um, basically is about to fight his way in. And it's great, too, because he, uh, he would cut these guys apart, um, especially at close distance like that. Maybe he'd probably be able to prevent one from pulling their sword while he like attacks the other one. According um, to the Hound, Marin Trent, Marin fucking right, Trent, Marin is, fucking Trent. <laughs> is a cunt. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and there's a great moment where they they start like they're not letting him through, and he um, he he starts to get frustrated, and you can tell that he's starting to get annoyed because there's this brief like little micro expression on Bronze's face where you can it flickers across his face, and I'm just consistently um impressed with jerome flynn and his his subtleties um as this character whether he's um portraying extreme confidence and swagger or just little like little tiny details like this expressing his frustration combined with his cockiness um he's a very talented actor um so that was really cool and it seems like braun knows some inside information like he must uh, hear things about marin trant from these brothels that marin trant goes to because what does he say about him and one of our listeners pointed this out too oh yeah he said something about uh because they said something about little girls and and boys or something <laughs> and, about little and you're girls a grub and fancy armor who's better at beating little girls than fighting men <laughs> Right. right. So we see him doing that in season six when um, before Arya takes him out. That's what he's doing. He's beating little girls like he literally that's his thing. Bronn knows for a fact. Well, yeah. Well, everybody saw him beat Sansa. That that as well. They they walked in on that. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the scene where, that we got earlier with um, with Cersei talking with Tyrion and about how Tyrion slandered her by telling Tywin the truth about how she had had a servant girl beaten till she lost an eye. That reminded me of that scene where Joffrey had Sansa beaten as well. So maybe Cersei was more Joffrey-like in her youth than we previously may have have believed or understood. Yeah, I want to talk about that later. Awesome, yeah, me too. Yeah. So, um... So he he's about to uh, go in there, and he has that look on his face. And there's a J- Ramin Javadi, and just the the cinematography and everything is brilliant here. Right, he he sort of reaches back for his kukri like he did with the hound, and mm-hmm. there's an orchestral swell that takes place, and it's building up beautifully um, as the tension is is climaxing at that moment. And then poof, the door opens, as Cersei comes out, um, which is a great scene. Just the the every, how the way that everything was arranged there was really really well done. So that was cool. So he meets up with Tyrion. They're walking along. Oh, actually, the first uh, before I get there too, that he um, when he uses that that um, that line like armor, um, he says that's exactly who I am. It reminded me of this moment in the movie Juice. You ever see that movie? Mm-mm. With Tupac, um, <laughs> he's like that's exactly who I am. Somebody tells Tupac, he's like you're fucking crazy, man. He's like you're right. I am crazy. You know what else? I don't give a fuck. Right? Yeah. So he kind of like 
spins it on him like, yeah, you know, I am, you know, and that's sort of like the same thing that Bronn did here. So that reminded me of that. So he's walking along with Tyrion and and he, you can tell how much he respects Tyrion because he's being very, very polite for having just been interrupted with a with a, a lovely lady. He, say, he says, as much as I appreciate a walk in the sunshine, your lordship, I'm wondering why you sent for me. Like he was telling Pod he was going to kill him, but he's being so nice to, to Tyrion here. Also, because he's buttering him up, realizing that. You know he's been called away from being ho- from being with whores. I need to be paid more to, <laughs> for this to be worth it, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about <laughs> I'm okay. thinking about what you're saying about uh, about him being so polite and and, he's and buttering and, up. <laughs> well, yeah, but also, uh, you know, before I mean the only hound the hound told Bron, you know, very astutely last week. Hey, listen, you know, the only thing that we like or we like more than anything else is killing people. And so Bron thought that he was going to get to go kill some people. So yeah, he chose that over anything else, right? Oh, right. And That's so great. so wow. he was he was ready to kill the two king's guards, you know? I mean, that with with the hound in that scene in the bar, he just had his hand on um on the, on the, uh, on the knife. But oh right here in, he had it partially pulled here, out. Here he actually had it pulled out, and right. he was stepping towards him. He was going to kill them. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So I, you know, I appreciated that. I appreciated that we saw that he was ready to kind of go through with it, and he wasn't just threatening to do it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I I agree. And he's the man Sorry, too. I, I liked what you were saying about that, but I I was I was like stuck on that last moment. No, that, that's <laughs> like, important wait. too. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's true. Even when that, that scene where he's with, you know, where he's talking about that, and and the hound says that, you know, we both like killing. You know, that's the, our thing. Yeah. He has a naked right. chick on his lap at that moment too, and he right taps her to get off and goes to fight the hound instead. You know, he will choose a good fight over <laughs> any woman. Yeah, he I, just will. <laughs> he's like, oh, the moon door. That'll make this fight interesting. I'll do it. <laughs> so that's great. He, uh, you fight with no honor. Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> he's the best. So he uh, he's telling, he goes in this monologue, and he's asking Tyrion why he's there, and he says a number of people want him to kill him, and he's like, you know, I've, I've, I'm always protecting you, and he's like, what, are you getting bored? And he's like, no, I'm getting poor. Right? So he poor. Yeah. <laughs> Under my patronage, you've become a knight. You've served as commander of the city watch. Briefly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'm sure you filled your pockets, and now my pockets are empty. <laughs> you've given me a taste for the finer things. Right. And if you want me to carry on protecting you, you'll need to pay more. Which is brilliant. I agree with his logic. You know, Tyrion is, he's, he's, he has. He's he's le- raised him to a level that he would not have expected before. He's given him a position of of a high command in in court, essentially. You know, in the King's Landing, he's he's now a knight, which means something. You know, and it mm-hmm. means something for your pay. Like a knight is gonna. He's like he says here. You know, he's like I'm a knight now. Knights are worth double. <laughs> you know that's true, right? right? Yeah. So like he's right, and Tyrion knows it, and he knows that he's worth it. Like he's he's that good of a fighter. He's that great of a companion. He's that loyal. You know, um, and he knows Tyrion will pay double for whatever it is. Well, so well, yeah, and he yeah. knows that. Um, and he knows that Tyrion has been sh- holed up in this little you know room. He he he. It's pretty obvious he has not left this room yet. Right, and. 
he is now just now <laughs> stepping outside, dressed, walking around among people because he feels safe with, with Bron. And Bron probably knows that. Yeah. And so he's going to exploit that as much as he can. Definitely. Definitely. And um, I mean, he's going to exploit it to, to a point. But not like overexploit it, you know, because he does respect Tyrion, but he also knows that Tyrion is fucking loaded. And that if he does, like he says, I don't even know how much I'm paying you now, <laughs> that means you can afford more, you know? <laughs> so, right, right. And since Tyrion, since they are good friends, like it just makes more sense. You should pay him more, you know? You should yeah, him up. Absolutely. So I just love this scene. I love how their friendship is developing and how it's. it's been extremely mutually beneficial for both parties. Like the, the, the symbiotic yeah. nature of this relationship can't be overstated. They like they really benefit each other. So this it ends up working out well here for everybody, which I like. And it's not something that happens all the time in this show. So a moment yeah. of goodness. And I like when Bron gets stuff too. You know that. One of Tyrion's last last jovial moments. We're 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 on borrowed time with Tyrion right now, as far as the uh, the joy and the light the lightness goes. You know. Yeah, for sure. In a couple of episodes, things go dark and twisty for the poor guy. Things get real dark. Yeah. <laughs> like crate dark on a ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like pushing your poop through a hole in a crate type dark. <laughs> Uh, that's great. That's so that pretty sad. much wraps up my number five. Um, what about your number four? My number four, um, I was actually thinking about the title of the episode and uh, Valar, oh. Valar Doheris. All and Men Must Serve. All Men Must Serve. And so I thought about kind of, I was like, well, the, the phrase is not uttered in this um, episode. In this entire episode, nor do we see anybody from like, you know, Bravos or the Faceless Men or anything like that. There's no indication as to why uh, we other than it is the answer to the title of the finale last season. <laughs> so I thought about the whole uh, idea of serving Cool. And all men must serve. And we've got a lot of servitude in this uh, in this episode. So yeah, we do. I wrote it all down. Awesome. <laughs> so Go we you. have uh, John is going to uh, to the king beyond the wall. And he has we'll talk about it later, but he <laughs> has knelt before. Tormund, <laughs> right. right. But he is ready to serve the king in the north or the king beyond the wall. Um so you've got that servitude. You have uh, Sam, who is in constant servitude to everybody on the watch, uh, including um, poor Sam, the Lord Commander. I know, poor guy. Uh, you have Marjorie, who uh, decides to step out of her carriage and going to serve the people. Um, you know, she wants to let them know that they that the royal family is going to be there for them and that they're going to do anything that they can to help them get back on their feet. Here's some food. Here's some toys. Here you go, children. Uh, your your fathers served us well, so we will serve you back. Um, Barristan Selmy at the end in <laughs> a triumphant moment. Uh, yes. You know, he decides he uh kneels and he requests to be of servitude to uh daenerys he requests to be in her king's queen's guard yeah uh Tyrion is uh serves his father uh, the best way he can uh braun (laughs) tywin serves him too (laughs) jeez yeah (laughs) uh braun and podrick they serve Tyrion. um Roz and Shay talk about the people that they serve. They serve uh, Sansa and Littlefinger, and they talk about what that's like for each of them. 
you have the Unsullied, who serve the Astapor slavers. Uh, you have Masende, who we see for the first time, and Wonderful. she is serving the um, the the slavers. You have Davos, who it, uh, goes back to Dragonstone to serve Stannis. Stannis, who serves Melisandre, who serves the Lord of Light. It's all this big servitude of uh, or cycle of servitude. And you thought um, you couldn't pick themes from this show. <laughs> Jason does. I I could do it just fine. All <laughs> oh, right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just thought that that was just kind of a nice little thematic ribbon that was throughout the entire episode of um of what all men must serve kind of means in this world in different parts of the world. Everybody's got their own thing going on and everybody's just trying to get a leg up where they can. And that, that, Um, I think that's a really great point too, because um, a lot of times what people will say, one thing that people say about good TV shows is that a good show doesn't need to spell something out for you. They can show you instead of telling you and you'll understand. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So like you said, Valar Doharis was not said in this episode, but they showed us all these examples of people serving and serving. And that just, is just um, an example of how good this show is in terms of their writing and what they're able to portray without being too on the nose about it. Yes. Uh, Yes, definitely. Because it didn't really dawn on me any of this until probably about a half an hour before we started recording. (laughs) Nice. Um, Yeah, so this was like a, oh, I like this, and I crossed out another top five. I said, (laughs) I I don't like this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That wraps up my number four. Very short, but um, just a little thematic element of what the title title goes to the episode. Impressive. Very well uh, well said. How about you? My good number sir? four. Thank you. My uh, my number four is Davos and, yeah. and Salador. Um, <laughs> I love cool. him. Yeah, me too. Is this our first time meeting Salador? No, 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 no. It's not. Oh, uh-uh. wait, no. No, we saw them when they met up on the shores talking about getting his oh, fleet, the right, 30 ships for Blackwater. Sword. <laughs> he said he wanted Cersei. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the big cutlass hanging around him. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the man. Um, but Mathos okay. told him he was an idiot. Right. Um, so it opens up with Davos, and he like sees a ship, and he's stranded on this this rock, right? And I can't remember what this area is called, but it's a dangerous area outside of the Blackwater Rush where there's the ships don't really go in here because, as you can see, there's all these spines of stone sticking out of the, the, the water. And it, it's it's got to be hard to recreate an area like that in real life. So they, they didn't really do it like on a massive scale for the show. Mm-hmm. But you could see a couple of these stone things sticking out of the water and Davos was on one of them. And uh, this scene from the books, I just have to say, is one of the most impactful scenes for me personally. It's just so, like, his experience as he's stranded out here after being washed to sea um, after the Battle of Blackwater Bay is just so harrowing for the number of days that he's stuck on this rock before he ends up being rescued. It's, yeah, it's really I'll brutal the way that it's described. Um, it's really intense. So Eight I really bucks. liked... Yeah, Hell Hydra. So I liked... Um, experiencing that and then having all those memories pop into my head watching the show and i think that um liam cunningham did a a great job expressing davos's frenzied um frenzied desperation when he's trying to hail that ship 
and he's screaming and yelling and he waves his hands and there's no reaction and the, the camera sort of zooms in on his face for a second and there's this pang of desperation and, and, and chaos on his face. Horror. And uh, right then you hear a horn blow from the ship. And they uh, it cuts to the next scene where and oh, there's also a cool part where he, like he's he he pulls out his hands and he's going to start waving and you can see like the top the cho- tops of his fingers are all chopped off and mm-hmm. it's just brutal so you could see that uh, which is pretty cool like they didn't fuck up in in post production and forget to add that detail or something you know um, so the the guys are here help me over here they they row up who are you I was in the battle at Blackwater you know I was a captain and a knight. Aye, sir, and serving which king? And uh, That's always the question, right? Yes, and <laughs> this part is where you learn that Davos is the true steel. You know, like, Davos mm-hmm. is the steel. He's the real deal. He's true through and through. You know, um, he puts it all in the line here, offering his life in the name of, of his god king, the Manus, Stannis. You know, he had said that Stannis <laughs> is my god before, remember, that, that scene yeah. that we were just referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, after Solidar walked away and he was talking with Mathos or whatever. Um, so he, he, you know, he holds true, puts it on the line, says the one true king of Westeros, Stannis Baratheon. And I think at that moment, like, you know, like, you know who Davos is. Like, you can, the content of his character is displayed in that moment. Like, his dedication and, um, you know, his his sense of honor, you could say. Yeah. Um, and amazingly, the guy smiles and he, he ends up on Solidor's ship. And so that's that was cool. And I noticed as we were um, as we get our first glimpse into Solidor's cabin that he has a beautiful treasure chest in there. Did you see that thing? I did not. Oh, man. I must have been writing things down. And I saw the episode twice, man. There, there, yeah, there's just so many little details <laughs> like this all over the place that, you know, you can't possibly get them all. But I was watching The Curse of Oak Island last night, um, which is about, you know, potential treasure, ancient mm-hmm. religious artifacts, Shakespeare manuscripts buried on this island in Canada. And they were showing. Um, <laughs> and they were showing. I love the end in Canada. That's <laughs> so weird. But it's, it's right behind the Tony Hortons. Yeah, <laughs> right. Tim Hortons. Yeah, it's right over by Timmy's. Oh, Tim Hortons. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right, right next to Timmy's, and uh, <laughs> it's really, really weird. Actually, it, there's there's something to it. I mean, even U.S. presidents, um, FDR sunk like uh, millions of dollars into this trying to dig down into this pit where they've found all this anomalous stuff they actually recently discovered a phoenician uh, cross in the, over there and that's from like you know they were around like 1200 bc um so it may have been phoenician or templars um you know using phoenician symbolism but um that's besides the point uh, <laughs> treasure. Yeah. So there's this cool. There, you know, they showed some treasure chests and stuff, but um, like one from from the island. But this uh, this guy, Saldor, has this beautiful chest. It's got like plated metal sides that are all riveted, and it's got like sort of a um, like a boxy shaped top to it, which is really cool. Um, so they they're talking in there, and everybody thinks that Davos is dead, much like. Um, Mark Twain, rumors of his demise have been uh, greatly exaggerated. Same with Tyrion last year, which is hilarious. So um, he tells Salador sadly that he witnessed Mathos taken by the wildfire, which is brutal. But hey, it's better to at least have... I mean, it sucks that he saw it, but at least he knows what happened, you know. 
Yeah, can you imagine not knowing and like having that in the back of your head forever? Right. Yeah, so as as horrible as that sight seared in your brain is, like at least he knows. You know what? You could I love Liam Cunningham. Oh my gosh, I just love him. Yeah. He's one of my favorite actors on the show Me because too. you could totally feel what he was saying. Yeah. He's um, just, you know, he's, he's like I saw him. I saw him get caught up. I saw the moment it happened. I mean, it was just you could see like the hurt wince across his across his face. That was Has he won any awards for this show? No. He's the He's, he's like overlooked, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Underappreciated, overlooked. Very much so. He's uh very talented. I don't I don't think anybody's he, better than him on this show. Uh oh no. I mean <laughs> I, he's, I think he's up there with Dinklage for sure. Absolutely. And he's next level. Yeah, I would I would mm-hmm. agree. They're both like Phenomenal. So he says, no, the wildfire took him. I saw it. Mm. Um, so Salador says, you know, he's so sorry, my friend. And they talk about, um, you know, they sort of. Uh, Stan, Davos wants him to bring him with Stannis. Stannis or uh, Salador doesn't want to because there's nothing for him there. He thinks that it's over. He says Stannis is a broken man, which I had forgot was a concept that hadn't been applied to Stannis. You know, we've seen it applied to so many other characters in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned even the episode The Broken Man featuring the Hound earlier in season six, episode six, I think. Um, so Stannis, in his case, he's only a broken man temporarily. He mends pretty quickly, it turns out. Um, and once he figures out his next path. Um, but it's, yeah, Stannis, or uh, Salador is bummed that he was promised 30, you know, uh, he was promised riches and glory and he delivered the 30 ships but didn't get the, the riches and. Hey man, rules of a pirate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you gotta uh, see the treasure before you agree to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, he uh, he he tells him that that you know Stannis has just been locked up by himself, not seeing his generals or anybody, and only listening to Melisandre, who's telling him to burn people alive. And um, Davos is like, what? You know, like what the fuck? And um, so they're talking about how. Stannis is like, you know, kind of under Melisandre's spell, and she's spoken out against all those who she calls servants of darkness mm-hmm. and everything. So he's like, "You're a smuggler. I'm a pirate. We're kind of servants of darkness. You know, we probably shouldn't go near her because she wants to kill like all people, kind of like us, right?" So um, he's like, "Listen, like you you drank with me at my wedding. <laughs> it's like you drank with me at four of my four weddings." Of my weddings. <laughs> hilarious and um he begs him not to go and he he's gonna he wants to try to kill her himself basically which we do see him try to do in this episode which is great well she she provoked it absolutely she knew he was gonna try so yeah she just triggered it essentially well she she you know said fire is the purest form of death yep just like i told you son yeah oh i would go after her too and he's like ah pull this dagger out and but what's great is that, you know, him. Stannis didn't see what she said. He just thinks that Davos oh. is crazy. So she provoked him to act out like that so that Stannis would remove him, remove Davos from the situation. That's fucking crazy. I didn't even like really think about it like that. I didn't She's realize She's a crazy that. bitch. You know what that reminds me of? You remember Dexter? Yes. There's that scene in season one, right? Where Dokes is like on to Dexter and he thinks that Dexter is something. You, you know, you give me the fucking creeps, Dexter. You fucking I weirdo. love 
ducks. You know? Ducks. I love ducks. <laughs> You're like a ducks. fucking li- lizard on ice. You don't even walk. You glide. You know. <laughs> right. So he, surprise, motherfucker. He, cor- he corners Dexter in his office, and he's like, kind of like giving him like the the, uh, the 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 rundown. You know, he's like he's talking to him, threatening him, and Dexter like boom gives him a quick headbutt, and then walks out. Really quickly into like the public area of the uh, of the police station, like nothing happened, you know. Just casually starts to like talk to somebody as if he's just like if it's no- nothing's happening, and then Dokes comes out and just attacks him right in front of everybody. So it's like the same thing, right? He yeah, triggers it is. triggers him without That's a nobody great noticing. Great connection. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great like, off the cuff, totally random connection. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I've seen Dexter a million times, so I love it just automatically triggered that memory, I guess. Yeah, it's a good show. Um Yeah, really good. So uh they're you know, they have this funny talk about like all their weddings, <laughs> all their different wedding days and everything <laughs> like that. And um he's like, I you know, you drank it for my wedding days, but I don't ask you for favors. It's like, oh that's fucked up, man. You know, like come on, sometimes friends ask each other for favors, you know, like Right. Don't hold not pirates. Just because you'd never asked for a favor before doesn't mean that, you know, I like I'm not expecting you will someday or that it would be out of line for you to ask for a favor someday, you know. Right? So um he then has a chilling line which sort of stops Davos in his tracks. Where he says, um, you know, he he basically tells Davos she'll kill you if you try to kill her, you know. And he's like, please, I have to stop her. Just please do this for me. And he's like, when you are dead, I will gather your bones in a little sack and let your widow wear them around her neck. <laughs> <laughs> I love his accent. What what kind of accent is that? You think it's Caribbean or like some sort of African yeah, accent? Or? some sort of Caribbean accent. I think that I was you like maybe that Haitian. That's- Probably right. Yeah, it's kind of like that. I don't know. It's 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 Salador's accent. I love it's it. Pirate. Man. It's pirate accent. You said the way you said burn was Ben Ben. Yeah, like, <laughs> like an E sort of. I don't know. I, I like that a lot. Uh, so that's cool. I love accents. Just a little aside. So that's pretty. That pretty much sums up my number four. Is just that cool, uh, you know, interaction between the two of them and just the whole Davos stuff. Like I really like. Um, the the scene on the rock basically it gives me those book memories which like I have nostalgia for so definitely read the books. Like hopefully it. we don't uh hopefully we don't annoy people saying that so much. Well, I don't care. I mean I do. <laughs> We're only gonna do that like read the books read the books. We're doing that during the long night you know between the seasons because you have time to. Yes, you, know, you have lots and lots of time. Yeah, like when we're back on a normal schedule, or even like when it's in closing towards the show being back on, and there's not enough you time for you to read the books. Time. Yeah, so we won't be <laughs> hounding you and bothering you about it then. Once we get past the books, yeah. <laughs> so then uh, we'll all be on the same ter- that we'll be all on the same playing field. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's your number three, Lady K? My number three. I have to go back to that page. Um, yeah, okay, let's do, I have three very good ones that I'm excited to talk about, so I'm just going to choose one at random. Uh, Jon Snow meets Tormund and Mance. Yay! Yeah, this is a really Um, fun scene. So, first of all, (laughs) Tormund Giant Spain has now entered our realm, and I'm just so happy to see him. I'm happy that the first shot of him is him just munching on a chicken the way that he uh, was munching on that meat as he was staring at Brienne, you know? Yeah. Seems to be the way he likes to eat his food. And I just have to mention that um, 
he looks like the, you know how Tormund looks, right? <laughs> the big red-headed guy. He looks mm-hmm. just like the co-founder of Walker Stalker Convention, uh, Jam- oh, yeah? James Fraser. Yeah, he looks just just like James. Uh, hilarious. Just as big. James is a little bit shorter, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, so similar. It's hilarious. I was just uh, I oh, gosh I I love it that that Tormund is now I I think Tormund and John's uh, friendship is just wonderful. Um, yeah, I love me where too. it started. I love where it goes. That's true. Considering um, where it goes, it's funny where it starts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't really like thought too much about that. <laughs> when John when so you know John walks in and with uh, with Ygritte and the Lord of Bones and nobody wants anything to do with him until they found out that he killed Corn Halfhand. Yeah. And then uh, Tormund turns around and he starts kind of chiding him a bit. And then John, John is wonderful. He just falls to his knees. <laughs> just suddenly. And he's like, your grace. <laughs> and Everybody as he's starts doing laughing. it, you know, even if you haven't seen it before, you know, this is not a good idea. Right. Everybody starts laughing at him. You're immediately, you know, just you feel bad for poor Jon Snow. And then Mance Raider makes himself known, comes out of the shadows, very much like uh, another character uh, is going to do later on this season, actually, with uh, Ramsay and how he um, he makes himself known to Theon. Grimy. Right. So. You mean anyways. All right. Yeah. He's not reek yet. (laughs) <laughs> no, not yet. Um, so let me just go real quick to my notes. I love um, my reek. So, you know, before we even get to the tent, though, we have, you know, John. John sees a giant for the first time. He's walking the wildling camp. You know, he's quickly realizing just how out of his depth he probably is at this moment. Um, I think the one thing that he has on his side, other than the fact that he did kill corn half hand is that he's had a lot of time to just kind of, I think, think about what he's going to say, uh, how he's going to play it. Um, you know, he knew that he was going to go, um, to the wildling camp even before he killed corn half hand. Now he killed corn half hand and all of a sudden they were at the wildling village. So I'm sure he had to kind of figure out what he was going to do when when he talked to Mance, I mean, he knew if he didn't say the right things, he was going to die. Like that yeah. was just going to be the end that of John. So Snow. intense, man. The, the, the quickness with which he comes up with his explanations there, um, and it not was having any a, time really to prep. Like he doesn't know what Mance is going to ask him. I mean, I guess he had to right? come up with a basic cover story, but I mean, the one thing that he really had on his side was that he, um, was that Mance Raider used to be a man of the night's watch. He used to be a brother. He could rely on that knowledge that they've both said those words before. They're both behind the wall. Like, you know, that there has to be some level of a kinship there, even if it's hanging by a thread. That's the one thing that they have in common right now. Right. Um, And the fact that Jon Snow is the son of Ned Stark at this point in the story. So um, you're Ned Stark's bastard. That carries a lot of weight, even beyond the wall. He's learned that a couple of times, but now he's really learning that carries a lot of weight. Ned yeah. Stark's name has traveled all this way. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um. So, anyways. I, Ned Stark, my f- Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North, sentence you to die. 
Blah. <laughs> um, so what I love is that we have this really great line that John says, and he says, I want to fight for the side that fights for the living. And yeah, that was really good. What's wonderful is that just like he said a couple episodes ago about, uh, you know, he goes, those men died for me and corn half hand says, make sure that it was for something that, right. Mm -hmm. So now he wants to, now he knows that there's these white walkers out there. He know he's killed a white. He knows that this, there's this force that's out there. Right. And he's been told by Jorah, uh, not Jorah, I'm sorry, by Jor Mormont that, um, you know, they've, that the wildlings are getting together, that there's going to be some sort of a, a fight or whatever. I can't think of it right now because my brain's all jumbled up, but, but the commander basically told John the entire speech that John says for all of season seven. Right. right? right yeah. <laughs> like he gives the very first speech. So, so John now has this line where he says, I want to fight for the side that fights for the living. And I think that that's kind of what, his mantra was from that moment on. Boom. Yeah. He, he says, you know, the realms of men like that includes you guys, you know? So yeah. Like, and welcome. I think that, yeah, Mance took that. He ran with Literally. it and yeah. And, yeah. um, I, I just, I, I like it because I feel like it gave John kind of his purpose, his mission statement almost of yeah. what he was doing and what he was going to do like from it, that point on. It was on. like it solidified in this moment for him. Like this is kind of right. the moment where he, it becomes like a cohesive idea. Like I want to fight for the living, you know, like this is and the first time where he sort go of articulates back to that. that. Yeah. And it's a really, you know? really cool moment. And, and um, we've been talking about people saying, people being in precarious positions and saying bold things, like with Arya saying anyone can be killed to Tywin, you know, or. And that's kind of her m- mission statement, right? Right. Yeah, basically. Such as it is. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Funny parallel. And um, yeah. and then, you know, Sansa speaking out of line of Joffrey and stuff too. Like, maybe Rob will kill you instead. You know, stuff like that. So here we have John, who's, if I'm a traitor, then you are too. You know, saying the same that type of ballsy. stuff. To, yeah, to Mance. Like, ballsy tactic um, saying that. But it worked, you know. And I think that... Mm-hmm. And we as we learn, you know, they sort of develop a like a respect, like a real respect for each other all the way to the end, too. And that's kind of like the beginning of their respect and their relationship for each other as well. Right. And Um, even though like John kills Mance, like Tormund says, it was mercy. It was it was a kindness. Yeah, it was a kindness. It wasn't he didn't kill him. John's arrow was mercy. You know, when John says that at hard home, he's like, I killed Mance Raider. You're like, what the fuck? is wrong with you yeah, yeah the way he phrased it it's like he's yeah. saying the right thing but he's not saying it right you like, could just see important. Tormund looking at him How like i want to drive I your face him. into the ground yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's so funny he's like let me clean they're, they're up talking your word about mess him. like he's like mance is dead you know and they're like how did he die and he's like i killed him and you just like facepalm like no you know Hi, yeah, and everybody's palm, mad totally. Tormund has to defend him because he just doesn't articulate it right you know Tormund's just like look at him like he's do you like, know no, how many no, no, times no, no, no. he would have died if it wasn't for me motherfucker yeah, he's like, like shut your damn mouth <laughs> yeah and he's like he didn't really kill him guys he kind of <laughs> saved him by killing him you know like yeah. more putting him out of his misery type thing 
That's, that's pretty funny. But I think that Mance, you know, has a respect for John because he, he appreciates that boldness and he appreciates that fire. He appreciates that he's, you know, the, the bastard of Stark who's, you know, now stepped out of, of the protection that he could have just grown up with. And he's out beyond the wall by himself doing this himself, you know, doing taking mm-hmm. on this, you know, the world himself. Um and kind of like, I mean, you could look at Mance as sort of like a bastard of the Night's Watch, sort of, you know, an outcast, um, an ide- like mm, a, whose ideology yeah. didn't like f- didn't mesh. I right. bet you he had probably the same kind of ideals as John, right? Right. So they sort of connect, and I think he sees himself in John. Um, uh, to like you said, you know, they like they sort of the same ideology. They both are up beyond the wall and like north of the wall wanting to fight for the side of the living they sort of really connect and he sort of I said won- everything perfectly that he needed to yeah i i wonder if mance raider who you know he he seems to be the most reasonable of really a lot of about 85 percent of the characters in the entire in the entire story but i i just wonder you know if he did see right through john and maybe said and maybe thought to himself, like, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to take this guy under my wing. I'm going to show him what I'm doing, you know, and maybe yeah. this is the guy that's going to link link the two together. It and this is what's going to get us through. I think you're probably right. I would assume that he is able to tell that, <laughs> that John isn't like completely honest. But I think that he's also able to tell that John's heart is in the right place that he does want to fight for the living that that part is true you know and he has a lot of honor he was raised by Ned Stark right like he I think he's able to sense that this is like although he is is he has to lie about some stuff here that like he's is he's true at, at his core he does want to fight for right. for the living that he was upset we know when he learned that Lord Commander knew um, that I think that he he does sense the core of truth in John's speech. Like he's he's lying, but he's also telling the truth, like a deep truth, you know. Yeah. So I think that yeah. that's more important to uh, mm-hmm. to Mance, and I think that that's like the 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 deeper core mission is what he senses and is willing to uh, take a chance on. Yeah. yeah. Good judge of character. Yeah, it ends up working out for the the majority of the wildlings, not for Mance himself. Not not for Mance, no. Yeah. <laughs> Read the books. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's actually true. Read the books. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so was that was messy. my number three. What was your number three? Awesome. My number three was kind of short and sweet. Um, it's just the growing dragons, which was really exciting. We get this awesome shot where, yes. well, I don't remember see what scene it transitioned from, but we get splash, splash, and like a dragon, like at the like coming out of the water or something, and these beautiful shots of the the dragons flying around and flinging fish up into the air and roasting them, and it's just so beautifully done. And the graphics and the cinematography and like the shots from over the backs of Drogon as he's flying along. It's just amazing. And I'm like, this is the future people. Like this is like the next level of television, you know, is where we're at yeah. now with game of Thrones. And if this do is you what, remember, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you remember how cool, uh, it was just seeing them at that size? Yeah. 
yeah. like for the first time, you know, you're like, wow, yeah, they're starting to look like dragons. I mean, now, right. holy shit, and man. Yeah, I think that's cool. important to, to mention, too, is that like the nostalgia of it is like, yeah, that, that you got to see the dragons like growing and flying and doing all this stuff, which is so cool. And while we're mentioning that, we, we should also mention that we got to see a giant this episode, too, for the yes. first time, which is like the same type of thing where it's like that. That was another moment for this show that sort of like elevated it to another level of of like epicness. Like I've you know like when was when was, when have we ever seen that before? You know, and mm-hmm. on TV especially. So and to have it look well, that this, good and that uh, realistic. This episode actually won uh, an Emmy for uh, outstanding visual effects. Ooh, this episode, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. The, there you go. Like I was saying, this is the future, you know. And in that uh, that that Emmy for this year, they agreed. You know, this is the next level of mm-hmm. of uh, TV special effects, right? So there you go. Um, and I thought I thought it was hilarious to that scene with the uh, the giant, and uh, he's he takes the uh, he's walking along, and John is just like, whoa, look at this. And it grits. T- what did it remind you of? It, remi- it reminded me of um, of Smallville, where uh, oh. <laughs> where the you know he, he walks over, he pulls out these big these wooden stakes and starts pounding them down to the ground with his fists, and that's what Clark Kent did on Smallville when he's growing up on the farm in Smallville. He's like building picket fences by like running around and whacking them into the ground with his fists like that. Oh my gosh, I totally remember that, and I've only seen like. Two or three episodes of Smallville. It's a great show. <laughs> Love that show. Um, Supergirl also is amazing. I thought of uh, I, it. Made me think of when John saw uh, the dragons for the first time. Oh, that's a great dumb call. look on his face. And then when Tyrion <laughs> saw the dragon fly overhead in in uh, Valyria. Yeah. Same type of thing. He's like, what? Jorah already knew, <laughs> uh, but that was the first time Tyrion saw a dragon. And he has sort of that like awestruck gaze as well which is really cool right. and so she's telling um what she's saying to uh to john about the giant there do you remember uh oh have you never seen is this your first time seeing a giant yeah. <laughs> and then and then she says something like well they're shy, you know, they're, they're, they're shy. don't stare at them too long but when they stop being <laughs> shy they get angry <laughs> and when they're angry i've seen them pound a man straight into the ground like a hammer like a on a hammer nail, with a nail. <laughs> And there's a moment where they, where John and the giant make a brief eye contact, and it kind of like shakes John a bit. And he, he can't, he can't hold the eye contact. He has like to, I don't want to be a nail. <laughs> what would you do? Would you, would you like hold the eye contact, or would you be too scared? Fuck, man, I wouldn't even look in his direction. I'd be like, yeah, that's a giant. He'll probably kill me. I like, don't know. I might have to wave. I don't know if I'd be able to resist. It'd be so wave. Cool. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I mean, you, know, you have like, a death wish then. If I heard that I they I didn't like project, people, she didn't. She, I think she was messing with him. You know, he's with a bunch of people, right? I, you yeah, can but he's a crow. <laughs> he's a, a crow. <laughs> Come at me, crow! Says the giant. Hey. <laughs> I think you could project an air of friendliness that that the giant could, uh, you know, comprehend. Snow. Like Percy Fawcett engaging with uh, indigenous tribes in the jungles in the 1920s. He did end up missing, though, so maybe not the best example. <laughs> but he was the best at it while he lasted. Like he, he would go in, <laughs> he would go into missions and in like jungle explorations with groups of like a hundred people, and he would come out the only person alive after all of them would be like killed by snakes and s- bugs stinging them and like 
lost in the swamp and indigenous tribes um, would kill like all the other explorers but Percy Fawcett had this way of sort of um, like treating with them really diplomatically which nobody else managed to do they have they were terrified of of the white man right so he uh, he's searching for this 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 lost city called the city of Z and there were they made a movie about it recently um Brad Pitt was originally supposed to play Percy Fawcett but they ended up recasting it but he's he's has to he's following the path um trying to find this lost city and he's he meets this group of indigenous tribes and this guy um he he's a writer for the new yorker david gran he wrote a book about it and where he re, he retraced percy, percy fawcett's steps himself and interviewed people in these indigenous tribes in the jungle um and who had, had stories passed down in their oral traditions about this guy um and so he follows him until this one tribe and they tell uh, david gran that you know we, we warned him percy fawcett like we told him don't go that way because these guys over there this tribe they were taken captive by the white men who tried to introduce them into society and civilize them and it, like did not work out well and they they killed a bunch of people and fled and escaped back into the into the jungle and they don't take kindly to white men like they'll kill you don't do it and he's like ah you know i they're all friendly with me you know i I I talk to them all and it works out every time, right? So he he goes and they they send a scout to follow him, and they see the smoke from his fire off in the distance every day for three days, and then it just stops and uh, he never returned. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's a really really cool story. There's a book about it called the the Lost City of Z by David Grant. I can't recommend yeah, it highly enough. Yeah, I've heard of that book. Really fascinating. And while we're talking about that, Lost Cities in the Jungle, did you see that thing I posted recently where they using LIDAR, which is a type of laser um, system that they shoot lasers down from planes while they're flying overhead? Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah. Discovered... I read the article. Yeah. My, I, I found it before, uh, before, before you had told me about it, too. Nice. Yeah, they found yeah. 60,000 new structures in the in the Mayan jungle in like Guatemala. 60,000 pyramids, tombs, palaces, platforms where houses were built, erected, or Mayan like um, shack type uh, houses, they said. Um, they speculate, I should say, because uh, the, the remains from on top of the platforms are gone. Um, but yeah, so this type of stuff, like the Lost City of Z, it's, it could exist. It's probably out there. Fly a plane over that territory now, and you'll find the Lost City, and we can go there. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't remember even what we were talking about at this point. Dragons. <laughs> dragons. Yeah, the dragons are cool. <laughs> dragons are cool? Is yeah, that yeah, what yeah they're, they're cool, man. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's my number three. Okay. I like <laughs> it. Dragons are cool. Yeah. Uh I love it. I love it. Love it. Ugh, yeah, it was good to see those dragons. Well, I'll stay in the same vein uh, as dragons, and I'll do my number two for. Um, there was some foreshadowing with uh, Dan, D- Danny, Daenerys, and Jora. It's hard for me to say Danny so much because my daughter's name is Danny, and so. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I think Danny so is. Aside from and, it's one of the most commonly used books or words in the A Song of Ice and Fire book series. He he says it like a thousand six hundred times or something throughout the books. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, so here we are. Uh, we're going to Astapor. Um, you know they they finally got the ship. They've got the Dothraki on the ship. They've just uh, and, you know, Daenerys even says what a big deal this is that the Dothraki have, you know, 
this the, the first Dothraki to be on a ship to face the poison water, you know, to go somewhere else. You know, this this is she knows how huge this moment yeah, that is. That shows you how much they like believe in her. Absolutely. <laughs> also, uh, before I go on, so I I forgot to go back to the last episode and count, but I think she has an extra braid now in her hair, an extra row of braids. Oh, right, because um, they get more and more complex as she continues to win battles. As she conquers and, stuff, right? and wins more. Right, it's like the bells. Yeah, that's great. I love how she sort of modified that Dothraki tradition and like turned it into her own sort of thing. Yes, I do too. Very much. And now she's got, you know, a, a mess of braids because she's badass. Right. And it's like Jon Snow incorporating different influences from his um, his various role models throughout his mm-hmm. whole process. Danny seems to be doing the same thing, which is cool. Yes, I agree. I absolutely agree. But um, so, so Jorah says, uh, tells Daenerys, you know, the Dothraki, they follow strength above all. You'll have a true Kelisar when you prove yourself strong and not before. Right. And Continuing she gets that, that Kalisar when she uh, burns down Vice Dothraki. Vice. Oh, yeah. Um, right. So, you know, that's when she showed her true strength. That's when she got, um, you know, her... Kalasar. I mean, she had the Unsullied and the Second Sons and her dragons before that. But once she got that Dothraki army, that was over. She yeah, had what yeah. she needed, you know? Definitely. And that was really, that was kind of a thorn in her side, too, because that should have been hers from the start. Right. And they abandoned her and they left her. And I think that that was probably the most important piece for her uh, in the entire process. It probably didn't even feel complete until she finally had them. Because she had been called Khaleesi um, before she was called queen. And her husband was the call of calls. And, you know, Drogo was so important for her. Drogo was was her husband. Her son and stars. Right, exactly. I mean, her dragon is named Drogon for Pete's sake, right? Right. (laughs) Um. So I, I just love that little that little line right there because it's a it's almost a throwaway line because we can apply it to her going to go get the unsullied, you know, by saying, you know, when you prove yourself strong. Well, you know, you can make an argument that in a couple of episodes when she turns her dragons on the on the slavers, that she's proving herself strong. But right. I think that if she wants a colossar, she needs to prove herself strong to the to the calls, to uh, to the Dothraki, to the, yeah, to the Dothraki, and particularly to like the uh, like you're saying to the 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 people that are high up, <laughs> right? And everybody saw what happened uh, uh, the when Colleen. she, yeah, when she burned it down, when everyone she became saw the uh, unburnt squared, right? <laughs> squared, yes, <laughs> she became the unburnt to the tenth degree, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when she came out glowing like fire, but nothing but her hair blowing in the wind. Yeah, oh, she's amazing. I love her. Um, so anyways, I just I like that tiny bit of foreshadowing that as you know, if you've seen the whole series, you you can tell where where she's going to go. What, yeah, she's what's going to happen. She's going to show him how powerful she is. Yeah. And it's very, very cool. So like you said, you know, you go back to the one ship with the you know, small dragons and the small uh, Kalasar that she has uh, of these blood riders with, you know, her one guy that sticks by her side. I mean, she doesn't even have Barristan yet. Yeah. Think about this. When she started out, she owned nothing. 
Nothing. When she next, she owned a horse and three dragon eggs and some books. Gifts yeah. from her wedding, right? Next, she, after Khal Drogo died, she owned three dragons and a mini Colossar, and she just keeps building it. But she started out with nothing, and then it had a horse and some books well, and three Well, then she eggs. lost like, most of her mini Colossar right. to the Red Waste. Yeah, she lost, yeah, a lot. She lost that. a couple of her Blood Riders, too. Even Blood Riders, t- yeah. Ter- yeah, terribly. And she lost her horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yup um, silver yes I, w- I I would say more but I can't um, <laughs> so yeah so anyways that was just like a little bit of foreshadowing that I thought was top five worthy nice yeah that was fun what was your top what was your uh, number two my number two was <laughs> the one the only Krasny's Monastus <laughs> the slaver guy, the the guy who uh, who uh, has all the, the unsullied. Is that his name? Yeah, Krasny's Monastus. Oh my gosh, I missed that. I fucking love that guy. I mean, he's despicable, and I hate him, but he's so fucking funny. The way he's oh. you know talking shit about Daenerys right in front of her, and has no idea that she understands everything that he's saying that the whole she's time. Hearing- Everything. <laughs> and he's calling her a whore and a dog and like a coward and all of this horrible stuff. Oh my god, it's so funny. And and she's just and like he uh, it starts off the first time he says something really horrible. Um, Miss Sunday is like you. You really want me to say that? And he's like, No, idiot! He's like, you know? No, you dumbass! <laughs> <laughs> and so she starts being like super, super, super diplomatic with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, like some of the quotes are just amazing. Um, the unsullied are really impressive too. He's going on and describing um, what they do, right? And he's saying like he, how he's had them standing there for a day and night with, with no, no food, food or no water. water. They'll stand till they drop, such as their obedience. And she's kind of like, oh shit. He says they begin their training at five, and um, you know every day from dusk till dawn they train till they've mastered the short sword, the shield three spears only one in boy and four survives which in itself is super fucked up yeah their loyalty and discipline are absolute which she goes on to show um they feared nothing even the, and she says even the bravest men fear death and um misande translates yeah my master says the unsullied are not men you know death means nothing to them and he he says some horrible shit, and she <laughs> changes what she sa- what he says, and says he begs you to attend this carefully. Tell this dumb slut to pay attention. You know, <laughs> he, he begs her to attend this carefully. Stuff like that. He cuts off the nipple. Um, oh, that was such a brutal moment. Yeah, uh, he tells the whole story about how they kill a little boy in front of their moms and. It's newborns just, yeah like it's just yeah newborns eight thousand dead newborn yeah babies. she has that moment eight thousand dead babies yeah it's hard to wrap your mind around yeah um wow uh it's super super horrible and she's it's even worse like paying paying him a silver coin it reminds me of an incident from the books um where somebody is raped repeatedly by all of the members of the lannister guard and, oh, and yes. a certain individual is forced to do it last, and every one of them gives the woman a silver stag, except for the last person who is forced to give her a golden stag because yep. he's worth more than all the the guards. 
Um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't want to give it away, but all nope. it, there's that horrible but beautiful way of describing it where by the end, like, the, the stags were just pouring out of her hands. Like, she couldn't even, like, hold all the, the silver uh. stags, which is fucked up. Um, but Daenerys is like, so you, you kill a baby and then pay their mother for their pain? And he's like, no, tell her we don't pay the mothers. We pay the baby's owner. You know, and kind of like... Smug, like smugly grins at her and like oh my god he's so horrible he's so proud of himself for yeah, that too so proud of himself and gross yeah it's it's slimy yeah it's greasy as they would say in trailer park boys and um yeah so it's just disgusting and it's all the better on the rewatch because we know how his eyeballs are gonna melt in a like next episode <laughs> or, I just can't even wait for that in the most epic moment of like the entire series Dracarys. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. Um, love that moment. So, yeah, that's going to be fun to cover. But, yeah, that's uh, that's it. He tells he's tells that bitch she has till tomorrow. And I, for some reason, I have this, I downloaded the script, so I have the entire script, and I was, but it didn't come through with his translations. It only gave Missandei's responses. So, unfortunately, I don't have his exact quotes here, but he, you have but all he of continues his to say some horrible shit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I wish. I don't even have the Valyrian, unfortunately. That would be amazing if you did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just thought this was a really great scene. It's it's really funny. Um, Masande is just incredibly, like, her diplomacy is off the charts. The, like, we learn later that she speaks, like, 17 languages, which is just incredible anyway. But the speed She's at which... She's like a beautiful human C-3PO. Yeah, she is. She's just like C-3PO. She's, he, he is a, <laughs> uh, a droid program for diplomacy, right? So it's the same fucking thing. He's a <laughs> yeah. protocol droid. Exactly. That's a brilliant, uh, brilliant connection. Would that make the half-man R2-D2? <laughs> for... for well, that that would be um, <laughs> because they're gray worm. No, well, it would be three PO and and Tyrion, right? Uh, RG yeah. two and Missandei for Daenerys, who would that would be her Luke, I guess, right? Yeah, she'd be, she'd be Luke in that, would, in that she situation. Would be Luke. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that that comparison. Actually, it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> the odds of successfully navigating a Greyjoy fleet are approximately. Hey, Luke did get uh, C-3PO out of slavery with. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. With the Sam people. That's true, and R two D two. Who she's or the Jawas? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, the Jawas. And sorry, um, sorry, uh, Star Wars people. <laughs> sorry, husband. My husband will just. I can see him banging his head against the door oh, right now. Ah, oh, Kristen, it's not the Sam people. <laughs> <laughs> What's that thing with Moses in the desert? And God told Moses to send people travel in packs, but trace their steps, following, stepping each other's footsteps to hide their numbers. I don't know, or something like that. Oh, yeah, uh, that's smart. <laughs> so that was really funny. But yeah, Miss Sunday is just amazing, man. Like, she's, she's beautiful. She's really smart. She knows all these languages. She's incredible at diplomacy. Like, she's turning these horrible things into, like, very diplomatic and friendly um, exchanges. Because she just has like an like an ear for this type, like an in like a intuition for this type of, um, you know, dialogue, which is really cool. So it's I think it's a great introduction for this character, Missande, and it it you know right off the bat hearing hearing his words and her words, it becomes immediately understandable why Daenerys wants to free her and offer her to to 
be in under Daenerys's protection, you know, because she's just like astounding. Like anybody would want Masande. Yeah, what a, a what a great advisor. tool. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, to put to, to not to dehumanize her. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I didn't mean it that way, but as yeah. a robot, three PO. <laughs> Three POs. Oh, I see. Haha. Ha. No. <laughs> and a great advisor. No, she's just a, a like a really really great resource, resource that was yeah, probably yeah. just not used properly or with any oh, yeah. type of respect. Her potential or, is being so like squandered to right. an, like inhuman. Right degree like mm-hmm. the, the cruelty the level of cruelty of squandering that potential in that scenario is just like so so wrong but yeah that pretty much wraps up my number two is just that whole scene I loved Missande I loved uh, Krasny's Monastis who I just think is one of the funniest characters on this show because I have a sick sense of humor and uh, <laughs> and I'll own that uh, that's alright yeah. you own it I will let's take a second to talk about Audible for you, the listeners of Game of Microphones, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we've been talking about this a lot. If um, if you guys are as podcast listeners, we know that you probably like to listen to, you know, pretty much audio form, audio form, anything of what you can find, and so um, you know, Audible is a really good platform to to kind of read your books quote unquote uh for people that are always you know working or they're in the car or they're doing laundry or basically run even if you're a big runner i'm a i'm a big runner um so i like to kind of change it up from time to time i listen to podcasts i listen to books i listen to music um you know, depending on how far I'm running. Uh, I just finished Ready Player One. It is by far one of the best books I've read in a really long time. It was fantastic. I could not recommend it more. So what we're offering is if you'd like to help support us, uh, you can just go to uh, www.audibletrial.com forward slash G-O-M for Game of Microphones. And you can... um, get a free 30-day trial. That way, it helps support us as a podcast. It helps you get one free book uh, when you sign up for your free trial. If you decide to keep it for every month that you pay for it, you get one credit, and that credit will get you one book. And uh, you Well, you get a tra- free book just for signing up, no matter right. what. Right, you get a free book just for signing up. And you, su- you get to support us without having to spend anything yourself. Which is right. really cool. Right. Very, it's a free way to help us. It's a free way to get a book. And it's a free way to check out a really cool uh, new way of getting your book learning in. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> so check it out. And if you want uh, Duncan to send you a book, you can always uh, email him your email address. And as long as you haven't had a book Sent to you before? Is that what it is? Yeah, as long as we haven't sent you a book before, we can send you a free audio book from, uh, you know, from from Audible, from at least from my collection of audio books from Audible that like I have, which includes all of the Game of Thrones of books. Yeah, Storm of Swords, perfect example. Which is starting right now with our discussion of season three of Game of Thrones. So, check it out. Yeah, get it, listen, and then you'll have like an in on the podcast, so you'll understand things from like an even deeper level. Um, than you would from just having watched the TV show because you'll get all this extra information and then little details on the show will mean even more to you and have 
like deeper significance. It's really cool. And then you can say, read the book, say how I yeah, then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash G-O-M for your free audiobook. Awesome. Dee, 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 dee. So what's your number one? My number one is the awkward royal dinner. Oh, yeah, that was pretty awkward, huh? It's one of my favorite scenes because we get a this whole episode. We get a fantastic introduction to who Marjorie Tyrell is. We really do. Um, You know, we've seen her play, you know, the queen a couple of times with Renly. And we've seen her talk to Baelish. You know, I want to be the queen. But we don't really get an idea of who she is, I think, in season two. But in this season opener... um, you really get an idea of Marjorie. Marjorie is loved. She she likes, you know, she loves the people. She loves the children. She wants to help them. She has an idea of who she is, who she wants to be, where she's going, and how to get there. It was like season two, we got to see Marjorie, Marjorie's mission, and season three, we're starting to get to see her tactics. Yeah, and what's great is how off balance she throws Joffrey. Cersei. Oh, Cersei. And Cersei, yeah. Um, well, Joffrey's completely bewitched by her. <laughs> and bewildered. I, yeah, he just... He stops in flea bottom and he's like, what the... What is going on here? What is the meaning of this? You know? But he sees... But what I love about Joffrey <laughs> in this moment is that I can see that if he was raised with kindness, he could have had a different life. Right. Yeah, um, you do get to see hints of that. It's really sad. You saw this this boy king looking at this woman who is loved by the people just for stepping outside the carriage, something he hasn't felt comfortable doing ever because of the situation of the sins of his parents, right? Right. And and I think he really wants that. He wants to learn how to do that. I think that his one mission in life is to be liked and to be loved. And I don't think that he knows how to go about doing that. I don't think anybody's ever taught him that. (laughs) Um, Sorry, that's not funny. And then, you know, you see this, he sit down to this weird dinner with Loris and Marjorie and Cersei and Oh, that's a um, lovely dress. Joffrey. It must be Look cold. At the he met- must be freezing. The metal work. <laughs> right. I love it when she says the metal work. And she and Cersei's like, Well, you need armor if you're gonna survive in this town, bitch. You know? <laughs> We've been like talking about sh- her armor too. It's great that uh oh, I love her um, armor. Yeah. She's consistently or frequently um showing up with like armored what look like sort of like armored corsets type of thing. Yes. So yes. it's really cool to to continue to see that. I always tend to like that. But you have two women that are playing the same game, but they're playing it so differently that they're just glaring opposites when they're right. put up next to each other. And it just makes for this comedy of errors uh, that I just, I love, you know, Joffrey is very embarrassed by Cersei, who's trying to undermine Marjorie with little, you know, cuts and comments. And um, and then Cersei, like, plays a, a really dangerous game by trying to uh, talk about uh, being attacked 
Joffrey being attacked uh, in that same alleyway or something like that. <laughs> right. He's like, we my mother has a flair of the dramatic. And it's like, dude, I remember when you said kill them all. OK, let's not pretend that nobody saw that. <laughs> right. He says that we were like we were never in danger, never really in danger of dying. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. The king, uh, we had a full complement of guards that didn't stop them. The king barely escaped with his life. My brother's always had a penchant for drama. Facts become less and less important to her as she grows older. <laughs> oh, gosh, I know. And, like, you see Marjorie and Loris, and I swear to you, they looked at each other, and with their eyes, they said, well, this is going to be easier than we thought. <laughs> yeah. He's already, like, <laughs> co-opted against her to some degree, it seems. Yeah, she's like, gosh, it took, like, a flash of my cleavage and a couple kind words, and I've got this guy eating out of the palm of my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I need, uh, I need know, that uh, anywhere. Yes, I know. <laughs> Everybody loves Marjorie. Everybody loves Natalie Dormer. She's beautiful. Yeah, it's so um, funny too. Uh, we should mention um, just while we're talking about how beautiful she is and what she looks like. Um, her grandmother, the Queen of Thorns, Diana Rigg. Have you ever seen a picture of her when she was younger? Yes. They look like identical. I saw Diana Rigg on the show, and it was the first time I'd ever seen her, and I was like, wow. I was like, I bet that when she was younger, she looked a lot like Marjorie. I could just tell by like her, you know, her bone structure and. And stuff, and so I, I, did, I googled it, and there were some side by side pictures, and I was like, "Wow, they look identical!" Like not identical. Oh, you should but throw that up really on our close. page. Oh yeah, it's a great idea. I'll do that for sure. So, so yeah, I think that we get a really good setup of just kind of the push and pull that we're going to see between these two families, and especially these two women, uh, as there is going to be an obvious power struggle. Oh yeah. Um, over who the queen really is. A younger and more beautiful and even queen. even after Joffrey's death, when when uh, Marjorie actually does become the queen right. of a consummated marriage, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's that's going to definitely be something as well. So I I just, I love seeing the beginnings of, of these two families <laughs> being shoved together, knowing that Tywin's about to put Cersei and Loras together. Oh too. my God, yeah. I, I always forget about that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, Cersei is so hilarious with that whole thing. We'll give him the time of day. Yeah, I, I know. So, anyways, that's my number one is just uh, the setup for these two families and. Nice. Yeah, yeah. that that plays out in hilarious fashion. <laughs> um, so my number one is um, our man. The double B, uh, the bold, Barry. Oh, Barry's gonna tell me. <laughs> well, when you said the man, I was like Stannis, and then and then he said double B, and I was like, oh, I'm lost. I think. <laughs> double B, Barrist in the bold. BTB. I got it. Nope, I got it. Now you threw me off with the man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was so exciting to see Barrist and and his whole like speech at the end and like the notion of what he's doing was so touching to to both Daenerys and the viewer I think it's like a really heartfelt moment um that I just found really great so and he looked like a Jedi yeah even better too it's so cool so Daenerys is walking along with um with another really cool guy Jorah and they're talking about the Unsullied and 
they're how they're a means to an end, and that's what Jorah is saying. And he, you know, she's hesitant about about owning them, and she's like, well, this. She feels like it's a bad line to cross, you know. Like buying a slave army is kind of a fucked up thing to do, you know. <laughs> yeah. Supporting a slave industry, owning slaves is fucked, right? And he uh, tells them, you know, tells her. Well, she says, you know, once I own them, these men, and he says, you know, they're not men, not anymore. Um, once I own an army of slaves, she then says, what will I be? You know, she like she doesn't want to be that person, right? So mm-hmm. I think that she's sort of starting to conceptually trying to try to figure out a way that she can get you know the best of both worlds, not be a slave owner and still get get this army, right? So she's formulating a plot on how to free these people here. Um, it, it, that idea hasn't hit her yet. But she's she's feeling conflict. She knows that this path isn't right, and she knows that she needs to figure out something at this point, right? So she's her gears are turning, and uh, didn't, you know Jora is is further um, making uh, you know like instigating her to make these considerations by telling her like, do you think these slaves you know will have better lives serving Krasnys and men like him or serving you? Like you know they'd be better off under you, which is true. So mm-hmm. it makes it even more difficult decision because it could be even worse for these people if she leaves them behind and doesn't help them, right? So she's got to figure something out. It's an important moment. And uh, he says, you know, you'll be fair to them. You know, you won't mutilate them to make a point. And as he says that, a little girl is dashing around and Danny's sort of getting distracted, like smiling playfully at this little girl. And a man we see in a black hood is lurking. You won't order them to murder babies. You'll see they're properly fed and sheltered. A great injustice has been done to them. You know, closing your eyes will not undo it. And at that moment, a girl rolls the ball towards Danny. She bends yeah. over and picks it up. And right at that moment, she looks like she's about to open it. And you see the, the dagger pull, be pulled out from the black cloak. And the guy dashes forward and gra- like knocks it out of her hand, and he's immediately grabbed by Sir Jorah, and um, the D- Danny kind of like falls to the ground, and the ball drops in front of her, and she it's right in front of her face, and as it starts to crack open, you see like these little spindly arms start reaching out, and it's a manticore, and it unfur- unfurls its its like scorpion like tail sort of thing, and Ugh. starts to jump at her, and the look on her face is really good, like I think Amelia Amelia Clark, she's been. People have criticized her for her performances on the show. I think she's always done a great job. I love, I yeah, love I her. That, I think she's perfect. I think she's been perfect too. Like I don't have a single criticism about her performance at all. Um, I think she's been fantastic. But particularly in this moment when the Manticore is just jumping at her, she has a look of horror in her face that is really good. I think she and she like scrambles backwards. On, on her hands and knees and right at that moment bam that dagger comes in and stabs it right through the the thorax I, <laughs> is that right i don't know i had an insect yeah i think <laughs> insect I think that terminology that's right. just pop into my head suddenly my daughter would know she's got a thing about insects oh that's cool is she gonna be an entomologist uh yeah, sure she wants to be a zookeeper but <laughs> oh cool and so this little girl flashes like the creepiest little growling smile ever and then jumps off the dock and just disappears with no splash or anything. And it's fucking wild. It's so cool. And then it's it's revealed as we see on the point of this dagger held by Barristan Selmy that it's Barristan the Bold, or, you know, the white knight, king's guard for, for Mad King Ares and Robert Baratheon. Um, 
And Jorah looks shocked. He, that's why I have to. Jorah is shocked. He is stunned. And wow, <laughs> what an impression there. I too. Um, um, Ian, Ian Glenn is that his name? Glenn, yes. He wow, he's a great actor too. You could really see <laughs> he was surprised here, and uh, surprised and probably a little scared. Like, uh oh, the jig is yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> he probably he knows or he might know. Right? Yeah, exactly. So. Um, the warlocks, I owe you my life, sir. The honor is mine, my queen, as he takes a knee, I think. Or maybe he doesn't, hasn't taken a knee yet. Um, no, I, uh, oh, yeah, you, maybe You know not. this man? No, he hasn't taken a knee yet. I know him as, as one of the greatest fighters of the seven king, the seven kingdoms has ever seen, and as the Lord Commander of Robert Baratheon's Kingsguard. King Robert is dead, we're informed, uh, and, and that's when he takes a knee. I have been searching for you, Daenerys Stormborn, to ask for your forgiveness. I was sworn to protect your family. I failed them. I embarrassed and sell me, Kingsguard to your father. Allow me to join your Queensguard, and I will not fail you again. And it's just one of the coolest moments of the entire series as this elderly, this like older guy, you know, travels across the narrow sea and across continents essentially to track down the, the the rightful ruler who in his eyes to to live up to the honor that he feels he's betrayed um, by by you know being in the position that he was in and following Joffrey for the brief time that he did etc. So it's really cool just to see um, hi, like him heading on what he sees as like a redemption arc, you know. Um, also, just to see such a gifted sword fighter who we we saw him stand. You know, face down the entire Kingsguard, basically, and say, even now I could cut through the five of you, like, you know, as easily as butter, like so much butter, right? So we uh, know he's talented. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> to see it too, so bad. So it's just a beautiful moment in so many different ways. And Danny looks really touched by this as well. Like, she sort of, like, looks like, a, like, almost brought to tears by it. And Jorah just looks really worried. <laughs> you know uh, what? Because you know what? She probably was really touched by it because she has convinced herself that she is fighting for something that nobody is talking about and nobody wants knows, in Westeros. Yeah, that nobody even knows she exists. That no, right. nobody's sewing dragon banners in secret. Nobody holds you know, give right. toasts to her return. Like, She's decided that her brother was a fool. And if she believes anything her brother ever said, she will be a fool as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there weren't really people sewing dragon banners or anything like that, but at least, you know, so one really important person feels that loyalty or that, that well, and, regret. And she's got a, and, and now she's just learned from her most trusted advisor that this guy is no joke. Like, yeah, like Jorah is, looks like yeah. he kind of wants to get down on one knee, you know? <laughs> yeah, in front of him, yeah. Right. <laughs> He's like, Sir Barristan, oh I'm God. so glad you're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was great. That's, that's so funny, too, because, yeah, he does look like he's, like, like in awe of of like a like almost like a demigod at that moment when he sees him, you know. Right. It's like Perseus just like walked out of the shadows or something, you know. Yes. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so that pretty much wraps up my number one. It's just Barristan Selmy, uh, the double B Barristan the Bold, um, throwing it down for House Targaryen again. Really exciting. Yeah. So I was excited to see that. What about notes? Got some notes. Uh, yeah, actually, just a few. Um, I, we didn't really discuss, uh, Tyrion and Cersei's 
uh, amazing scene. Anytime these two are together, I just, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, they're both just such powerhouses and together they have a really good chemistry, probably because they're best friends in real life. Um, Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, you know that they're roommates when they film. Isn't that adorable? Really? Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. That's so I think funny. That's the most adorable thing I've ever heard. They I can were imagine roommates. them like hanging out. Yeah. Oh, totally. Because Lena Headey is like, like she seems like really cute and like funny when she's not thirsty. Yeah. Like she seems like really bubbly <laughs> and like smiley and like kind of like super fun rocker like, chick. Like kind of like tiny. Like I don't know. It's yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I I agree. It's so funny. Um, so I love what she says to him when, uh, she says, I'm not afraid of you, little brother, when she's terrified of him, of him, of what he'll do. She's been terrified of him since he was born. I mean, he came out and he uh, was like a little monster. Right. Yeah. And he, she just, yeah, she hates him. Um, but it's important to, to note the way that he is so scared when she's approaching too. Cause like you said earlier in the, this episode, he's been locked in that room the whole time. He's just been basically hiding and they visually portrayed this sort of like, um, hiding out mental, you know, the mind state of Tyrion by, he like removes the little board from the peephole in the door. And you and, see him like with one eye. Yeah. And it shows from the outside and it's like zoomed in on his eye as it like pans around really quickly like it makes it it's 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 sort of like portraying like the sense of paranoia in mm-hmm. a very visual sense by like the eyeball darting around looking right. at looking Ab- out from this tiny hole like behind a you know a set of bars that for protection like it really visually illustrates that very well you know yeah oh totally you're yeah you're completely right on that one and but but what's funny is that mm-hmm. he he has so much power over her with what he knows about her. And she's like, she's there to... She's so to, scared. She's terrified. And what's funny is that she's going she's going back and, um, and she's like, oh, you're going to tell him lies that you've made up about me and Jamie and, and you know, Joffrey's parentage. I'm thinking to myself, right. oh my gosh, you're a crazy bitch. Yeah, you're he's like, bitch. what are you doing here? And he's all freaked out because <clears throat> last time he, he saw a Kingsguard... He thinks that she's going to kill him. Yeah, last time he saw one of those Kingsguard, they fucking cut his face in half, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And her order. So he's like, what the fuck? I'm all alone. Holy shit. They're like three of them all together right outside my door. What do I do? He's terrified. And so she he lets her in and she's like, um, you know, he's like, what the fuck is she doing here? She starts asking about why, like, he's going to go see father. And he's like, why the fuck do you care if I, why I'm going to see Cause dad? Because he's my dad. Right. And he's <laughs> like, you've, she's like, you've slandered me before. Right. <laughs> Which yeah. is fucking bullshit. Because it wasn't even slander. She, like, literally caused this girl to lose an eye. Well, and it's not slander this time. Yeah, it was just, you know, the time. irony of it all. Yeah, right? again, it's not slander. Yeah, perfect right. point. Um, so I just thought that was really funny that he's sensing that and he's like playing it off like, uh, oh, well, it, it wasn't one of Tywin, one of uh, uh, Stannis' people that cut my face. You know, just go, like, oh, curious. <laughs> you know, I- um, and so, yeah, I just thought that was funny that she's all worried about why he's there and he's sort of figuring it out and like, you know, that whole thing, the dynamic between the two of them. Yeah, I yeah I love that the, the dynamic between the two of them anytime that they're together. And, you know, I love how just obtuse 
Tyrion seems to be every time he's around her because he holds so much power over her and he never cashes in. He never holds it over her. And I don't know if it's out of like family it's, loyalty. It's just because he's not a total douchebag. Well, she well, is. She'll hold right. everything over but people. He know, but he likes to play the game. He's good at the game. He has said True. he's good at the game. True. He likes to play the game. When it comes to his sister, he cannot do it. Maybe he's maybe like subconsciously it. he's jealous of Jamie or something. Uh, yeah, or it's you know the children, or maybe it's Tommen, and I mean he had given up on her until he realized that she was quote unquote pregnant true. again. That's um, true. That's a good point. You know, and everything changed. We still don't know what they talked about in, yeah, now in that I'm finale, nervous right? About that, yeah. Oh, everybody is with with good reason to because we know it's been set up for seven seasons that Tyrion becomes a total wanker in front of his <laughs> sister for some reason. Fucking wanker. So you know, it's it's. I like the way that they continue with this thread, and I think that it's something that nobody talks about. It's just a character. Yeah, it's really not talked about. So it's important. Thing. Good thing that we're talking about it now. Good, yeah. Good call. I've never so, really thought about it much before at all. Actually, how he just kind of like, like loses his uh, edge when he's around her in terms of yeah. His, the way you know he what? That's a perfect her. way to say it. That's a perfect way to say it. He loses his edge. I mean, he stay, he still stays sharp of tongue and consistently manages to get like the better of her in terms of witty dialogue and oh, they're so good her. at it. But you're right in terms of manipulating her um, at like a deeper or more hardcore level. He sort of like backs down or like doesn't um, do it. He's had the opportunity to take her down so many times, and he's never done it. Even though she's tried to have him killed like <laughs> half a dozen times, easy. Yeah. The trial, <laughs> Sir Mandon Moore. Like, yeah, so yeah. many times. Yeah. Oh, so. Anyways, she put a bounty um, on him, you know, yeah. after he escaped King's Landing. She killed a whole did. bunch of dwarves to, just to try to she, get to him. She, I, I'm sure she tried to do more than just pinch his wiener when he was a baby. She probably tried to kill him then, too. Yeah, probably. So anyways, um, so that and then Tywin and Tyrion had their scene um, later on that we didn't talk about at all, which was, yeah, which was a fantastic scene. It's funny because Tywin at the beginning is doing all of his letter writing and while Mm -hmm. Tyrion sits there and, um, you know, he does that. He does that with all three of his kids, I think, at one point. And there's um, one point where um, Cersei, Cersei does it. <laughs> she's pretending to she do it. Carries and, the, she carries the torch. Right. And then, but the, the Queen of Thorns calls her out on it. Oh, quit pretending to write anything. I know you're not writing anything. You know, Tywin did that, but not you. You know, <laughs> Nobody cares about you, you stupid yeah. bitch. You're no Tywin. And then um, if you have the script in front of you, uh, what Tywin says to Tyrion at the end of that scene yeah, is it's just fucked up. such a gut punch and i can't remember uh, that, it off the top of my head that was supposed to be on my top five i think i don't know how that didn't end up on there that scene i'll, I'll grab it real quick Let's oh see. uh while you're looking for it um so what's funny to me is that we learn oh shoot i wish that i wrote down more in my notes but Pycelle has always been tywin's guy right well, Cersei's guy for sure. Well, because Back and forth, he, yeah. we saw that deleted scene. Oh right, of, yeah, yeah, Tywin of that right. But also, um, you know, Tyrion is like, "Why didn't you come to see me?" And 
and Tywin goes, well, Pycelle told assured me that me you were that fine. He assured me that you were fatal. fine and blah, 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 blah. So what's interesting to me is that Tywin showed up and probably had no idea what Tyrion has been up to because he made a lot of assumptions in that scene that weren't true. He was drinking. He was whoring. He wasn't doing anything. He totally like mishandled yeah, his like power. Maybe if he knew what actually because happened, he would have he wouldn't have criticized him so much and said, like, I'm never giving you Casterly Rock. If he knew what a fine example Ty- Tyrion had set of Lannisters. There was no way for him to know because right. Pycelle was imprisoned. He wasn't taken out of that. It Pycelle was out uh, was found out as a traitor, and he was taken away for a while. And right. then he's in the black he cells. Ne- Tyrion never let him back in. The only person that Pycelle really talked to was Cersei after that. Mm. When she and, and Pycelle just wanted to get back at Tyrion at, at that point. Yep. So Tyr- so Tywin probably honestly has no idea. That makes it all Tyrion even more did. fucked up. I haven't even hadn't even thought about it that way. So fucked up. But yeah, mm-hmm. I found the scene. He gets there, and cool. uh, just like uh, Cersei, uh, Tywin is assuming that he wants something, right? He's like, why mm-hmm. do I, Why can't I just visit my father? Like, why do I need... Why must I want something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's such a douche. So he's like, you know, like, what the hell do you want? Like, um, And he's like, listen, he's, I organized the defense of this city while you held court in the ruins of Hall. I led the foray into the... When the enemies were at the gate while your grandson, the king, quivered in fear behind the walls. All I, true. Yeah, All I, true. Yeah. I <laughs> bled in the mud for our family. And as a reward, I was trundled off to some dark little cell. But what do I want? I... A little bloody gratitude would be a good start, right? Yep. It's just some basic yep. respect, dude. Like, yep. That would be fucking great. And he's such a douche. Jugglers and singers require applause. You are a Lannister. Do you think that I demanded a garland of roses every time I suffered a wound on the battlefield? Hmm? You you came in on a horse. Right. Yeah. Into the throne. And how room, often you are you idiot. in the vanguard? Uh, sorry, go 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 on. I, he makes he makes me so mad in this. Now scene. <laughs> I have seven kingdoms to look after, and three of them are in open rebellion. So tell me what you want. And he says, you know, I want what is mine by right. Jamie is your eldest son, heir to your lands and your titles, but he is Kingsguard, forbidden from marriage or inheritance. The day Jamie put on the white cloak, he gave up his claim to Casterly Rock. I am your son and lawful heir. I don't know why he's pressing this at this moment. Um, you know, Tywin's still alive, so why would he give up Castle Rock when he's alive? Maybe just because he's going to be living at King's Landing to serve the the, uh, the hand position. Um, I guess so. Tyrion, Tyrion's like, put me in control while you're gone. I guess. Um, so he's <laughs> like, you want Casterly Rock, and he's like, it's mine by right. And this is where it starts to get really fucked up. Um, well. In a couple seconds, he starts off mild. You know, every every wild scene starts off normal and then transitions into the bizarre and goes off the rails, right? So he says, we'll find you accommodations more suited for, to your name and as a reward for your accomplishments during the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Um, and when the time is right... So it does seem like he knows something about Tyrion's accomplishments. And when the time is right, you will be given a position fit for your talents so that you can serve your family and protect our legacy. And if you serve faithfully, you'll be rewarded with a suitable wife. And this is where it transitions to the fucked up part. Right. And I would let myself be consumed by maggots before mocking the family name and making you heir to Casterly Rock. Oh, uh, I hate him. And he's just like, 
like super hurt by this and just says why you know like why what the fuck and it's just like it's painful to watch like Tyrion taking this you know and he can't even like look at Tywin uh, up, coming up and says why you ask that you who killed your mother to come into uh. the world you are an ill made spiteful little creature full of envy lust and low cunning Men's laws give you the right to bear my name and display my colors since I cannot prove that you are not mine. And to teach me humility, the gods have condemned me to watch you waddle about wearing that proud lion that was my father's sigil and his father's before him. But neither gods nor men will ever compel me to let you turn casterly rock into your whorehouse. Go now. Speak no more of your rights to casterly rock. Go. And at that moment, when he says go, he's sort of like postured behind his desk in an aggressive stance, glaring at Tyrion. And he's like the most imposing figure like we've seen in this whole show to this point. Like nobody has looked that like intimidating um, as Tywin in that moment. And he during this last little speech there, Tyrion so shook, he can't even look at him. They don't make eye contact. And Tywin is sort of pacing like ranting and like like shaking his head looking at Tyrion as Tyrion won't even look at him and I think that is even disgusting Tywin more that he won't even make eye contact with him you know and just makes him look even more weak and pathetic at the moment and it's just like setting off Tywin even even more I think Mm -hmm. and uh so Tyrion just like walks out and at that moment and it's just like the worst like horrible it's one of the worst moments of the entire series I think most brutal moments of the entire series Mm -hmm. to experience it's uh, a horrible speech it's horrible it's the only thing that gets you through it is knowing that that guy is going to meet the end of a crossbow (laughs) yeah in the most embarrassing way it just like and you just can't even like wait for it like you're just sitting there and you're like yeah motherfucker well he's gonna kill you with a crossbow well you're taking a crap so i don't want to hear it from you he totally rakes (laughs) Tyrion over the coals here for no reason uh i know and if he only really knew i i i just don't think that he knew maybe i'm wrong but attacks him for things that he out of his control you killed your mother to come into this world totally out of his control not his fault you're an ill maid you know referring to his dwarf is dwarfism right. not his control not his fault. spiteful little creature maybe spiteful because you're an asshole so there's nobody's sp- given him any love yeah full of envy lust i mean you know i mean that's understandable how can you like if you're a dwarf if your whole family doesn't love you where i mean why wouldn't he go to a whorehouse to try and get some sort right. of you, physical touch if lust is the only form of connection you can Fine, because you don't have love, then I mean, I guess you're going to resort to lust and low, oh, low, this low is cunning. Just getting sad. He's just—he's not of low cunning. Like Tyrion is high cunning. Well, I think like, he's smarter than Tywin, and I think Tywin knows it. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, Tywin is very smart, but he—it's—it's it's like a, a cruel kind of smartness that is—it's like only a part of the full picture. You know what I mean? And t- mm-hmm. Tyrion has the intelligence, but the humanity as well, which makes him a more well-rounded uh, person to uh, to be. That would that would make for a better leader. That would result in better results for the like the people as a whole. I believe. Um, whether it would be as a liege lord like Tywin or as a like a ruler or a you know cabinet member or whatever, mm-hmm. but Tywin is just the worst, most awful, hateful, spiteful person, and no wonder the Lannister family as a whole and 
Cersei or in, you know as a person or no wonder they're all so fucked up because Tywin is just like a, a font of just <laughs> yeah. psychological trauma. But it wasn't trauma. until and it's interesting that you say that because Jaime and Tyrion you know uh, Tyrion was always kind of like known as the good Lannister and Jaime you know we see him go through this tremendous arc and right. it's not until he gets away <clears throat> from his family that he actually finds out who he is and I think that that says a lot to kind of the the upbringing that they all had, yeah, you know, um, that they couldn't really find out who they were because they were under the, the, the thumb of this really imposing this father. Machiavellian dictatorial despot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no mother in their life. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I, ugh, and that made, that made Tywin worse too, because I guess Joanna Lannister probably humanized him. Yeah, he would smile around her. He would laugh around her. Like he had love with her, apparently. So it was like, and she was his he, cousin see, too. He never should have left Arya. Arya made him laugh. Yeah, Arya made him smile. <laughs> um. Oh, you know? Did you notice that Roz found out that Shay was a whore? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how she, she found that out, or she could just tell, or something. No, well, she's really good at finding stuff out, right? I think that oh, she that was Varys. the moment. Uh, well, she's working for both of them. She's working for Varys and Littlefinger. Now, mm -hmm. who she tells that information to and how it gets back to Cersei and Tywin, it's one of them. It could be either of them. Um, uh. But she, but I don't think that they knew that Shay was Tyrion's uh, whore mm -hmm. until Roz found out that Shay was a whore. Now, the only reason why... How did she find I, out that? It seemed like she already knew. So she says... She says, uh, when the it's girls like us, yeah, she says, given where we started, right? And I think that you know, they both started from very low backgrounds. I think that she she can kind of tell, maybe they can, it's like they can sniff it out on each other. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've never been a whore, so I, I don't know. Thousands what, of men, <laughs> I don't know what the markers are, right? Yeah. Maybe it's like you have to be one to know one. I'm not really sure. I also like the fact that, you know, Roz talked about how she grew up um, underneath the shadow of Winterfell. Right. Yeah, um, that was a good. Uh, I like that whole thing too. bring that you up. You know, the north. She's a northerner. And it was a nice and, uh, like um, like um, callback pictorial way to like it was a you know, nice description of it, like a cool, like cool symbolism, like in the shadow of Winterfell. I don't know. I just like that the way that she described it, it was cool. But you kind you got an idea that Shay. Shay is loyal to Sansa. Uh, sh I get the feel. I always had the feeling that Shay would die for Sansa if, if it came to that. She loved Sansa up until the point that Sansa married Tyrion. Oh, um, right, right. That was probably seen to her as a betrayal, and I think only because Shay, as fierce and wonderful as she was, she was still super limited, and I don't think that she was able to see big picture. I think she took things at at face value, and she face. didn't really. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> that that too that uh, that argument you're making right now that she's not like fully with it all the time. You yeah. know, she doesn't see the big picture. That kind of goes, that argues like against the idea of her being a faceless man too, because faceless man would probably see like big picture type stuff. Yeah. I, I just think that she's Wrong really obtuse, but she's more interested in, in saving her pride than anything else. 
Um, but I do think that that little scene between Roz and Shay, that Roz got a little piece of information about Shay and it, it was just a little puzzle piece that anybody who's trying to put it together, uh, kind of needs that piece. Oh, okay. All of a sudden she shows up around the same time as Tyrion. Now all of a sudden she's serving Sansa and (laughs) she's, you know, so yeah, I hadn't, hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. So that's a good, uh, good, good angle to bring up. And, uh, and then since, my last little note. Okay, yeah, go for it. Is uh, that we see Kyburn for the first time? Ho! Right. Um, did you just call me a ho? Yep. That's where they found Kyburn alive. Right. Should have just driven a sword through his heart. <sighs> but then that would have been a lot less entertaining for us. <laughs> 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 yeah. So okay. That covers your uh, your notes. Yeah. How about you? I thought it was funny. Um, we had a couple characters. I mentioned Tyrion couldn't look at Tywin because he was like so like shook by what was happening right when Tywin mm-hmm. was lambasting him. Tarly uh, Samwell couldn't look at um, look Jor Mormont either when he asked him about the ravens. Oh, Did you send yeah. the ravens? Tarly, look at me. Did you send the ravens? He can't even look at her. He's like too ashamed. <laughs> he just shakes job. his head. <laughs> yeah, that was your job. Your only job. Uh... And he gives that ominous warning, which I think is worth mentioning. We need to get back to the wall. It's a long march. We know what's out there, but we have to make it. We have to warn them, or before winter's done, everyone you've ever known will be dead. Uh, <laughs> A.K.A. Jon Snow's se- season seven speech. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I thought it was another funny parallel as Jon was walking through the wildling uh, camp people started throwing stuff at him like they threw like threw cow pies at at Joffrey. Yeah. And they're both kings. <laughs> so Yeah, okay. Cuz he's you know he's Aegon Targaryen. He's born a king. That's true. Oh gosh, so, uh, I can't wait to see that play out. Yes, Sorry, I got really excited all of a sudden. <laughs> two kings getting stuff thrown at them. So I thought that was another funny little parallel with two entirely different reactions. Joffrey freaks out. Who threw they poops on me? You know, and uh, <laughs> kill them all. John just kind of you know doesn't really care. So I thought that was kind of funny. Cool scene, Tormund. Like we said, um, I thought it was so funny that. John mistook, mistook him for the king of the wall and then was the best moment not only did he mistake him for the king of the wall but he simultaneously used the wrong customs as well so it like he sort of like double made a fool of himself <laughs> idiot which is great um, your grace <laughs> yeah I like seeing Kieran Hines because he's a great actor um, he was he played Julius Caesar on the uh, I think it's HBO show also Rome yeah you're right which is a great show I recommend watching that if you guys haven't watched it it's kind of you know it's not Game of Thrones, but it's, you know, along the same vein of, like, um, not medieval, but, you know, Roman history with, like, armor and stuff like that, so it's cool. And it's got Mance Raider in it. Um, I was impressed by by um, John's thinking that in that scene, like I said. Um, I thought it was funny, um, or I thought it was, it was wild. We got to see Tyrion, like, examining his scar, and look, looking at that in the mirror and seeing his reaction was interesting. And really sad. Um, I like that they uh, they they approach the. I heard that your nose was cut off. I was just and it's yeah. not, Oh, sorry. No, no, no. That's cool. <laughs> I was I was fine. I like was stumbling upon it right as you mentioned it. Cer- oh, Cersei says. Uh, <laughs> Cersei says they said you'd lost your nose, but it's not as gruesome as all that, you know. Which mm-hmm. is kind of a book nod. I won't say why. <laughs> but it is a book nod. Yeah. Um, 
And I liked his response to the man who cut me lost more than his nose. Um, <laughs> and he had some just some great responses in this scene in general, like when he's talking to Cersei. Um, he had another one where she's com- she makes the same joke as Pycelle about how he doesn't need much space. And he's like, oh, yeah. you must be proud to be as funny as a man whose balls brush his knees. Uh, that was a great line. Great line. And then um, he had another one at the end where she says, you're a clever man, but not half as clever as you think you are. And he says, still makes me more clever than you. which is great I just love how he always is one-upping her in terms of his clever one-liners it was painful to see scummy Roos Bolton advising Rob and um, seeing that huge army march down that very thin road made me think about the logistics of moving and supplying large battles or large forces um, I should say so that was interesting and um, Tywin had very nice penmanship I think that's worth mentioning Looked very, uh, very impressive. Um, Sansa and and Shay kind of played a game similar to the game of Faces, where Sansa's coming up with stories about the backstories of these ships. Um, Shay's like, I don't care. Right, and it's the second time we've seen her, um, n- like not wanting to play a similar game where she has to tell a story because she uh-huh. doesn't want to tell anything about her backstory when she's um, playing that drinking game with Tyrion too, right? And that sort of argues against her um, being a faceless man as well, because you'd think that a faceless man would be super adept at these games with all the practice, so they'd just like play at any at any opportunity, make up a story because you know there's no reason why, and they can't. They're so good at it, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that also you know argues against uh, the that argument of Shay being a faceless man. Um, I have Bay approaches Baelish when he walked over to manipulate uh, Arya. With his Baelish voice, Sansa. her yeah. little finger voice. And I liked how um, I do like how Roz warned um, Shay of of uh, Baelish and told her to be careful of her around him. You know, telling you know be careful of Sansa, protect her from Baelish because he's crazy. Uh huh. And we should note that Baelish mentioned to um, to Sansa. He said, um, "What is it? A lovely day for it." Watching the ships. Lord Baelish, might I speak with Lady Sansa alone for a moment? <laughs> I saw your mother not long ago. She's very eager to see you. Ugh. And your sister. He mentions that he, her sister. And, uh, you know, every other time that I've watched this, I sort of just took it as a bluff. That, like, he was playing it off as if um, uh, you feel differently was, now. was with... Yeah, like Arya was with Kat, but now I feel like he's telling her, like, I just saw Arya. He doesn't implicit or explicitly say that it that she wasn't with Kat, but he kind of pauses and then says, and your sister. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like it's like a separate occurrence. So he may be telling her that, like, hinting that I just saw her sister with Tywin, essentially, as her cu- as his cupbearer. So he, right. he may know. This may be a signal that this character, Baelish, does know. Um, so it's that was interesting. It's interesting that he chose to tell her that information. Um, Absolutely. So that I was agree. cool. I liked that little thing. Um, I liked um, Shay, or, talking about growing up in the shadow of Winterfell. I liked Roz's um, line She's very poetic uh, in this scene. The description of growing in the shadow was really cool. I grew up in the shadow of her father's castle. And then the next line, too, the day she was born, they rang the bells from sunrise till sunset. I just thought that was like a really cool, um, like visual. Yeah, really neat visual, amazing concept. So I thought that was cool writing. 
this is is this our first time that we see a vantage shot of Dragonstone? No. Because I know it was dark when Stannis was introduced at the beginning of season two. We must have seen it, but whatever. It looked crazy. We saw it here, and I was like, wow, this Dragonstone looks amazing. Um, I love Dragonstone. Yeah. That's where I would want to live. Uh, Dragonstone is really cool, yeah. Hard be hard to pick a different place than that. Or It would be interesting to see Heron Hall in its prime, too, before it was melted. Well, and I, who doesn't want to live on their own island? Yeah, Storm's End is supposed to be really cool too. Big round Maybe we'll see area it. with like hundred foot thick walls, like like impossible to uh, to get into Storm's End. There's some interesting stuff about that in the books. Um, We're gonna have to see it, right? Like before this is all over. I don't know. We, I, I it would be cool. I really hope we see it. Yeah, but I it wouldn't be surprised me if we don't see it at this point, considering we only have six episodes left. Um. We saw Casterly Rock, and that was awesome. Yeah, that's true. Even though we saw, like, 30 seconds of it. Yeah. Um, There's an interesting line where, um, who's it, Davos is talking with with Stannis, and Davos says, someone says, I do not judge people for the gods they worship. Um, if I did, oh yeah, he says to Melisandre, if I did, I'd ever, I'd have thrown you in the sea before they ever set foot on, before you ever set foot on Dragonstone. And I was like, wow, that's ballsy too. And precarious position, you know, like speaking, speaking out like that, Yeah, (laughs) you know, hardcore. Um, so that was pretty, pretty wild. I thought it was interesting too, that when, um, she, he's saying that, you know, he, they're talking about the situation and she's like. I could have saved those men, you know, when you when you fought on Blackwater Bay, you know, was it me? Did I set those ships ablaze? I wasn't there when wildfire fire killed our men by the thousands. I could have saved them. You you would have taken the city. Stannis would now sit upon his rightful throne and your your son would stand beside you. And as she's saying that Stannis kind of like gets real pissed and stands up and walks out towards the balcony and Davos, it looks like, hadn't really considered it from that angle. You know, maybe that his intervention had caused things to go awry because it, it it stuns him into silence and he doesn't respond and he just sort of sits there and thinks about it for a second. And um, I, I he's wondering if it's true, you know, and then she goes on and that's this is when she manipulates him. Do you hear them screaming? All those burning men in the water crying for their mothers, for their gods, for help until the moment the black water swallowed them. Don't despair, Sir Davos. What I told your son is true. Death by fire is the purest death. <laughs> so brutal i was like oh my uh, god she told him and she he freaks out as he's being dragged away this woman is evil she's the mother she of demons which yep. i thought was an interesting foil to the mother of dragons dragons right and just as john is a foil ice to fire you know john mm-hmm. sort of like sort of a foil even though they're like on the same like path sort of um she's the foil as well you know and she sort of has this connection to john because she resurrected john right Mm-hmm. So, if she's the mother of demons and she is gave life to John, does that make John a demon? Like, is, is, he, is something going to happen with John? I don't know. I keep I, I keep talking been, about like, it. Discussions about whether or not his heart beats. Yeah, I think it would be wild if like something happened and like the Night King touches him and he like turns evil or something. <laughs> like how no. cool would that be? That would be so cool. No. All of a sudden, John Snow, Stop. the King of the North, it's like. Stop doing that he has to like fight against daenerys 
he like stabs her and then Drogon sets them both on fire or something. Oh my it, gosh, stop, stop, <laughs> stop. Cool. You're, you're breaking my heart, man. <laughs> uh, there was a great moment too that we mentioned when Joffrey was surprised by Marjorie stopping the city and he's sort of peering out of his carriage. He's like peering out in wonder as she's doing her thing mm-hmm. and she's like stepping in the poop. <laughs> she hardcore. like doesn't even care. Yeah, she's total opposite of Cersei. Um, which is so funny, and he's watching in astonishment. Um, and the, like you mentioned, it would have been interesting to see how he would have turned out with this type of influence uh, in his early childhood uh-huh. as well. So yeah, I liked our, when Cersei said, you might find a, a bit of armor quite useful once you become queen. She's right about this. I also liked her um, her line when she said that... Um, Oh, Joffrey tells me you stopped your carriage at Flea Bottom on your way back from the Sept this morning. Yes, I paid a visit to the orphanage at the Sept of the High Sept and told me about um, the lowest among us. And, oh, the lowest among us are no different from the highest if you give them a chance and approach them with an open heart. An open <laughs> heart is what you'll get in Flea Bottom if you're not careful, my dear. Yeah, <laughs> thought that was a really good line. So that was really funny. Um, and then they go on to talk about. Um, you know, hunger turning men into beasts. I'm glad House Tyrell has been able to give to help in this regard. They tell me a hundred wagons arrive daily now from the Reach. Wheat, barley, apples. We've been blessed. We had a blessed harvest. And of course, and of course, it's our duty to assist the capital in this time of need. It's sort of foreshadowing how that food supply from the Reach gets cut off in season seven. Oh when yeah. When Daenerys huh. burns the food, the, the loot train. Um, and things are going to get bad in season se- season eight for King's Landing. There's going to be starvation and things happening. It's going to be uh, pretty fucked up, I think. Um, that that was not like just like some some aside thing, some random thing that happened. The burning of the food in that loot train is going to be important. I know it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're completely right. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up my notes as well. Cool. Yeah. So we will be right back with some news. wanted to say before we get started with our news um a big thank you to amanda rogerson for getting our news together this week uh it's safe to say that 
I am very afraid of spoilers. Please don't be a dick and send me spoilers when I say that. But um, <laughs> but she was very, very kind. And she sent me some articles that were spoiler free so that I could uh, remain in the dark and uh, pure for unsullied, the upcoming season. Yes. Unsullied. I like that. Yeah. I can remain unsullied. So thank you to Amanda Rogers. Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. I've heard people use unsullied referring to people who haven't read the books before. Oh, so, I like, love I'm it. spoiled by book knowledge. You know? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I thought it was a good one. So this first article comes from the Huffington Post. Uh, it's titled, Peter Dinklage reacts to fans saying Doritos ad confirms Tyrion is a Targaryen. First <laughs> With of all, fire thing. anybody who hasn't seen this ad, go to our Facebook page right now. It's on there. It's amazing. It's wonderful. I love it. I've li- I've seen it like 20 times. I Easy. played the it's- audio from the ad during our break last week. Um, per- so act- I actually included the Busta Rhymes part and the Missy Elliott part. Yay! <laughs> it's just the best. I just didn't, um, I, I took out everything that said Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> Pay us, Doritos. Yeah. Um, so the article reads, of all the Super Bowl commercials, only one was complete fire, dot, 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 and <laughs> ice. In one of the top ads of the night on Sunday, Doritos and Mountain Dew brought us Peter Dinklage and Morgan Freeman in a rap battle. Dinklage did the lip-syncing gymnastics on Buster Rhymes' verse from A Look at Me Now in a room full of fire. That was impressive. It was awesome. Um, Even just like mouthing that, it's pretty fast. I was imagining him dressed as Tyrion in between takes filming season eight, trying to get Buster Rhymes lyrics in his director's (laughs) chair and just the whole thing thought of that just sent me into laughter <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah bus a bus um, bus a bus flip mode uh, flip mode squad is the greatest i am a 90s rap girl oh yeah so give me some I, yeah i love buster rhymes Yo, split for the weed at. give me some out <laughs> i need to listen to buster rhymes now Dinklage did the lip-syncing gymnastics on Busta Rhymes' verse from Look At Me Now in A Room Full of Fire because his Doritos chips were so hot. Duh. (laughs) Meanwhile, Freeman lip-synced Missy Elliott's Get Your Freak On in A Room Full of Ice thanks to his obviously (laughs) very chilly Mountain Dew. It was a battle that could rule the Seven Kingdoms and even inspired Game of Thrones fans to tweet that the ad might confirm a long-held fan theory that Dinklage's character Tyrion is actually a Targaryen. Does that mean <laughs> that Morgan Freeman is a is the Night King? Yes. <laughs> and God. <laughs> On Monday, HuffPost asked Dinklage about his reaction to the fan response and his thoughts on Tyrion possibly being a Targaryen. <coughs> So Dinklage says, quote, I love every single theory the fans of our show have because they're so much fun. <laughs> Me too. They get to show the dedication and love they have for the show. But you have to understand that it is a Doritos commercial. <laughs> <laughs> it is not Game of Thrones. So it's fans not subject are to the same of- <laughs> level of analysis, people. <laughs> So fans are sort of stretching the limit with that theory when you're branching out to Frito-Lay commercials. (laughs) But I say that with all love and respect. Please, I love them. I love the fan theories they have now until the show is finally over. So that is actually a a little excerpt from a much longer article. I suggest going to... um, to check it out because there's a whole interview with Peter Dinklage. Um, if you want to check it out, it's at uh, Huffington. It's on HuffPost, Huffington Post. Uh, so yeah, 
check it out. Dinklage. I'll, I'll probably try and post it to our various social media platforms later. Cool. Our next item is an article from Mass Live. Game of Thrones parody to bring songs humor to city stage. Fans of HBO's Game of Thrones can see seven seasons worth of their beloved award-winning drama lampooned in a new musical comedy, Musical Thrones, a parody of Ice and Fire. <laughs> what? What in the actual fuck? I want to see this. <laughs> I hope it's the cast of the people who did the musical in Bravos in, in season seven or six. Oh, How funny would that be? be that. <laughs> <laughs> the parody... Which comes to City Stage in downtown Springfield. Oh my god, there's a Springfield in every state. Which one is it? (laughs) For two evening performances on February 15th to 16th is composed by John and Al Kaplan, the masterminds behind the long-running Silence, the musical. There's a lot of story in seven seasons to condense into one show. There are some 19 songs and one in almost every scene. They're catchy and big, and I'm so impressed with the Kaplans, said the show's director, T.J. Daw. Boasting seven seasons, five actors, one dragon, and 90 minutes of hilarity on its promotional poster, the new show just began its national tour in January. It brings the popular HBO fantasy's beloved and behated characters <laughs> to life in a raucous, quick-change, sing-your-heart-out style comedic fest with songs like Winter is Coming and Valar Morghulis. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I I, go to I'm going to... S- see what the national tour is all about for sure what is it called a a musical of musical thrones a parody of ice and fire wow i hope coldplay i hope coldplay writes the songs Hmm. yeah (laughs) i want to help write too Hmm. um uh, the last item that we have is an article from superhero hype but really just google it it's everywhere it's everywhere and it was everywhere in the matter of nanoseconds thank you for including this what was funny was that I po- uh, somebody posted it to my personal page. Then I posted it to the Game of Thrones page. Then Duncan sent it to me. Then Jason Cabazzi sent it to us. And then yeah. Rima Joe sent it to me. And I posted it to the <laughs> to the Zed Head page. It was like all instantaneously, like, three, like it hit and, us and, all. Yeah, from like and that was that angles. was my and that was my punchline was that <laughs> this all happened in a span of ninety seconds. Yeah, it was like, crazy. It was insane. It was crazy. <laughs> oh my god! And we haven't even mentioned what the article is uh, is yet. So the hype. If you, know you it's don't be know big. what it is, it is Game of Thrones creators to write and produce a new series of that's right Star Wars movies. Star Wars! Ah, it's so exciting! A Star so of my, Wars! Uh, just, it's going to be a, a Star little, of Wars. Yeah. So so just as a little side <laughs> note, my husband, we're a huge Star Wars family, first of oh. all. But my husband like kind of is the leader of that pack in this house. Nice. And I've never seen him so giddy. Oh, right. You told me he freaked out. <laughs> he just like goes, what? Like he couldn't believe it. It was just, it was a very good moment in our I house. There was a lot too. of high five. I totally freaked out. Oh, uh, man. So the article reads, Lucasfilm has announced that the creators of HBO's Game of Thrones franchise are headed to a galaxy far, far away. Seriously, I can't even handle the awesomeness of this. Yeah. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss will write and produce a new series of Star Wars films for the company, which are separate from both the episodic Skywalker saga and the previously announced trilogy that is in development already from oh Ryan Johnson, so who epic. did Star Wars The Last Jedi. So... um. Just real quick, 
this is going to be a this is a really big deal, I think, for them in the fact that oh my God. they've been working with source material for so long and they've been working with George R.R. R. Martin telling them how the story should be and like kind of thematically. And um, yeah, they're, I mean, they're on with, eight years of this. Right. This is the first time that they get a blank page. They don't have to refer to source material. So I'm really looking forward to their creativity. Absolutely. Think about the opportunity, the, the the first time that they have the creative control like this, and it's for Star Wars! I know! I can't even believe it! Dude, like, what the hell? I don't know if you guys can, can really tell. Duncan and I are a little excited about this. I would shit if I got to have any involvement with Star Wars at all. And jumping not only from Game of Thrones, but then to Star Wars, it's like, after, what are they going to do? Just, like, like follow through on a suicide pact after they finished with the Star Wars movies? What can you do well, after that? There's like They just conquered the film and movie universe. I'm just really glad that like this, the scripts are all written for Game of Thrones because I don't know that I'd be able to think about anything else. Yeah, like after being, I, I would just yeah. be like, can you believe what's happening to us? Can you believe it? Like Game of Thrones is huge, but this is fucking Star Wars. Star yeah. Wars. I mean, I, I, there's... Yeah. There's more hours of Game of Thrones than there are of Star Wars. I think that Star Wars, Game of Thrones, 100 years from now is going to parallel Star Wars as um, being on the same level of um, of epicness as, as in terms of like fit franchises and mythologies of like uh, fictional universes go. I bet that Star Wars and Game of Thrones. And if you look at it from that Thrones, standpoint, then that means that they got to they got to produce and bring to bring to film something from George R. R. Martin. And from George Lucas. And that's what I mean. They conquered TV and film, both of them. Like, they can just kill themselves when they're done and, like, be champions of uh, the entertainment universe, They basically. just need to do what something do do from J.R.R. Tolkien, and they'll be, like, they'll have the <laughs> yeah. trifecta, right? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, my God. So, anyways, if you want to read anything about that, just go. Go go Google it. You know, I'm sure it's there. there I'm sure there's a hundred... A hundred articles about this. As you could tell, this is very big news. Go forth, for young Padawans. Nerds like us. Princes <laughs> and princesses. Yes, go forth. So that's it for news. Awesome. So next, we will jump to our Game of Thrones as myth series. And this time, we're going to mix it up a little bit. We're not actually going to use an essay from the Game of Thrones as myth uh, series of essays from WintersComing.net. Instead, we're going to read a summary of an essay by our friend LML, uh, a.k.a. Lucifer Means Lightbringer, who wrote a series of essays um, about A Song of Ice and Fire that's called the mythical astronomy of ice and fire. And he, he unboxes a whole lot of symbolism and astronomy and mythology and stuff. It's like next level type um, analysis of Game of Thrones, or specifically cool. of A Song of Ice and Fire. This really would be book spoiler filled um, warning. Not this summary, but the essays themselves. But if you guys have read the books and haven't listened to, he actually he's written these essays, which you can find by googling the mythical astronomy about ice and fire. And he also has spoken them, read them aloud in podcast form. And there's a podcast, the mythical astronomy of ice and fire too. So do that, check it out. And the podcast is great because uh, he has segments of music interspersed, separating the sections by this band called Animals as Leaders. Uh, featuring guitarist Tosin Abasi, that is like amazing, like just just phenomenal guitarist. You won't even believe. Um, 
so we will uh, jump right into this. This is um, LML's summary of the mythical astronomy of ice and fire, part five, Tyrion Targaryen. Hello, friends, fellow nerds, and secret Targaryens. (laughs) Many have discussed the possibility of Tyrion being a Targaryen. I know I have. And at this point, the body of evidence is fairly well known. Both the logistical evidence involving Joanna and Ares and the more metatextual clues about Tyrion and dragons. On his mythical astronomy blog and podcast, LML has developed a certain style of symbolic analysis, and what he does in his essays and podcasts is use mythical astronomy and symbolism to show evidence in support of Tyrion being a Targaryen. This is an entirely new way to approach this issue, and the evidence is quite overwhelming. So open your ears. (laughs) For example, Tyrion is many times labeled a gargoyle. Well, the story of the first gargoyle involves a fellow named Saint Romanus slaying a dragon and attempting to burn its body, only to find the head and neck would not burn. Unburnt, interesting. Having been super hardened to stone through the years of breathing fire, Romanus mounted the head of the dragon... The, de- or the head of the dead stone dragon to the walls of his newly built church in order to scare away evil spirits. In other words, the first gargoyle was a dragon, and Tyrion is a gargoyle. Tyrion is also labeled a monkey demon four times specifically, as well <clears throat> as a monkey or a demon on several other occasions. Well, monkey demons are a thing, at least in Chinese mythology. There's a monkey demon king named Sun Wukong, who wields a black iron staff that burns with fire. And he stole that fiery weapon from, wait for it, a dragon. (laughs) In fact, he defeats four different dragons and takes their magical armor and other goodies. (laughs) Sun Wukong can also cause the sun to darken by summoning summoning storms, too, if you can believe that. (laughs) He's fiery demon monkey with black dragon weapons. Both gargoyles and Sun Wukong are associated with waking from stone as well. Sun Wukong is actually a stone demon monkey who hatches from a stone egg at the top of a mountain, while many stories about gargoyles involve them coming to life at night. Dragons waking from stone? You don't give a character like Tyrion gargoyle and Sun Wukong symbolism if he's not a dragon himself, in LML's opinion. And it's interesting, too, the um, the part about Sun Wukong hatching from a stone egg at the top of a mountain. Where was Tyrion born? At Casterly Rock. A rock at the top top of a mountain. Stone egg at the top of a mountain. So there's a lot of similarities. Really interesting ones between Sun Wukong and Tyrion. If I was ever to be trapped in an elevator with somebody at this point in my life, it would be George R.R. Martin. (laughs) Yes. I just want to be trapped in an elevator with him for like six hours. Because then he might try to eat you. Well, I'm <laughs> just eat kidding. Him it's so first. fucked up. You know what? You know, he won't try to eat me because he's always got some kind of a turtle on his shoulder or something. So we'll be having turtle soup. It'll be just fine. Oh, no, 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 no. You think he'd let you live over his turtle? That's his turtle. Oh, yeah. He is straight savage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Straight savage. He killed Ned Stark, remember? <laughs> turtle turtle soup or Kristen soup? Which yeah, Kristen one soup. Yeah, instead of Kristen eating turtle soup, it'll be turtle eating Kristen soup. Perfect. That yeah. that sounds you know what? That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Definitely. <laughs> okay. And you also don't give repeated and flagrant dragon dreams to a character like Tyrion if he's not of Targaryen descent, especially not in a world where it is well established that people with the blood of the dragon in their veins dream of dragons in a prophetic way. Oh my gosh. As Maester Aemon explains on his deathbed, these dragon dreams are so vivid as to seem like memories, even though the people who dream them have never seen dragons before. All this and more points to Tyrion as a Targaryen, and LML goes into depth on all these subjects in the main essay and podcast. I've been saying this for a while, and I get ridiculed and mocked when I say this. <laughs> no, there's lots of good evidence, like lots of it. Um... Even, I have know. family members that think that I'm insane. <laughs> no way. I, 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 I'm going to ask LML if we can read like the whole essay on the show or something, because that'd be really cool. Oh, cool. Maybe he'll let us. Who knows? That'd be cool. Maybe um, he wants to come on and Oh, read it with talk? us or something? That'd be, yeah. that'd be so cool. Wow, that'd be, that'd be an that'd extra be really cool. episode. Yeah. We'll have to email him. Let's do some Ravens calls. This one comes from Dave Hal Berg. Greetings, Dunk and K. Greetings. I and <laughs> greetings. I like it that he realizes the Dunk and K of the play on Duncan Egg. So, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed last week's podcast with Jason. I was struck by his comment about how he rooted for Bruce Bolton's bastard the first time I watched the show. Bolton seemed like a really good dude at the time. Just a straight shooter with upper management written all over him. <laughs> a last note, thank you for keeping the spoilers out of the news. I also cannot stand spoilers. I'm okay with waiting for whatever happens in season eight because that's all we get. Yeah, Some people definitely. seem to forget that the anticipation can be as good as the actual thing. Not everyone, not everything needs to be instantaneous. Otherwise, foreplay wouldn't exist, right? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Johnny of House Store says it's time for the best part of the series, Arya and the Hound. Yeah, a lot of yeah. people like that. Yeah, it's, uh, I always, yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, Joe Fletcher says, my favorite episode of Game of Thrones. What? Awesome. Yeah, it's a really, really good episode. Pam Wireman Sanders says, All I have to say is Tormund Giantsbane. This is the episode where we are introduced to Tormund and his wit. I try not to pick favorite characters because I know that is a death sentence in the world of Game of Thrones, but Tormund is definitely a favorite of the book and show. Love his personality and humor and the relationship between him and Jon Snow. And of course, Brienne later on. Yes. Yeah. Love Tormund, too. He's one of my favorites. And uh, uh, I really like how um, Christopher Hivju, I think that's his name, right? He, uh, he He's great at portraying ferocity. Like, he can look, like, wild and crazed uh, in his combat style. and uh, But while simultaneously being very controlled and, like, vicious, you know, it's like... I don't know. It's just really good. He does a good job. So <laughs> good casting I love for him that. in those hotel commercials. Oh, yeah, I forget yeah. what they are. The Wyndham, Wyndham Resorts. Is that what it is? I think oh my so. gosh. I love it. Yeah, he's great. I thought it was like Expedia or booking or something. Yeah. He's the Wyndham Wizard. 
Yeah. I love, <laughs> gosh, I love him. His, if you don't follow him on Instagram, just anybody who has an Instagram account, He's he has a fantastic Instagram account. He's really active on it and he has great pictures. He's just full of joy. You get to see his family and his wife and it's just, that's cool. I don't know. He's fun to follow. He seems so. like a cool dude. Yeah. Super grateful guy. Very humble. It's nice. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next one comes from Sir Patrick. It is the most depressing season of the series, brightened by Arya and the Hound. This season is why so many were disappointed with season seven. They still thought the whole point of the show was heartbreak and gut-wrenching failure. (laughs) Never noticed before just how Riverland-centric this season is. Looking forward to Kristen ignoring all of the damning evidence of the spider's treachery this season holds. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. I don't remember... um what happens with Varys this season? I do. I think he's awesome. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he's awesome. <laughs> he's awesome. He, gets, he tells saying. Tyrion about how he was cut. Gets the guy in the crate. Oh, the crate. Yeah, that that's brutal. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a, a crazy scene. <laughs> it's a great. Yeah. GG Lugo says. So, did we ever figure out why the White Walkers kept Sam alive? Ghost for the win. Enjoying these small scenes with him. John sees his first giant, meets Mance Raider, and Tormund. Woo! Foreshadowed by Bronn <laughs> when he says Marin Trent is better at beating little girls than fighting men. Ah, it was Gigi. Mm. I think I, Gigi keeps saying good stuff that we refer to during the show, and I mm-hmm. keep forgetting it's her. One time I did remember, though. Um, ah, I forgot. This is how we meet Kyburn. So Roose Bolton says they killed 200 men from the north. So does that mean Kyburn is from the north? Yeah, I, I guess so. I wonder where. We know he, he trained at the Citadel. We don't really know where he was after that, though, do we? Mm-mm. Littlefinger tells Sansa that Arya is alive, so he must have known that it was her. Barristan is back. Woo when woo. I, yeah, when I first watched, I wondered who it was following her. Now that I have more knowledge on everything, I'm, I'm so happy he was there. Keeping some jealousy from Sir Jorah. <laughs> Overall, it was a great way to start season three. Yeah, I think he probably was jealous and nervous at the same time. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, she saw jealousy and you and I were like, he was about to get down on his knees. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you, I mean, you could you could probably feel jealous of, you know, and war, like if Superman, you're, you're, you're out with a pretty girl or something, Superman yeah. comes and saves her and she's like, oh, thank you, Superman. You know, you're like jealous, but you're also you're like, like oh, you're awesome. we're not worthy we're not worthy it's possible it's possible (laughs) no totally hey i you know what i love jorah every part of jorah i love him even those gross scaly parts hey you know what that was some of his best work was get was oh i watched that i watched that episode recently like in the last week and uh his the little whimpers that he makes <laughs> it just you, you can i mean you just know how much pain he's in it he's phenomenal anyway yeah he's really good uh matthew rep says now that's what i call a cold open mm-hmm. what a big episode for introducing new characters kyburn torman missinde and mance <laughs> 
lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. <laughs> so even though Littlefinger is Lord of Harrenhal, does he actually ever get to occupy it? Roose's men are about to take up a lengthy stay, and doesn't he go straight to the Vale with Sansa after Joffrey's death? Some of my favorite Danny moments are coming up. That slaver deserves everything that's coming to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't think Littlefinger ever went to Harrenhal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He never actually... Oh, right. Okay, yeah. He never goes to Harrenhal. Mm-mm. <laughs> so funny. Possession's nine-tenths of the law. Yeah, yeah that's what the Boltons counted on most of the time. Yeah, true. <laughs> Dreadfort. I like that name for a castle. That's pretty cool, huh? Yes. Well, I still hate I still hate everything the Boltons are, but oh, yeah. yes, you're right. Dreadfort is perfect. Badass. <laughs> We have an email from a traveler of the Middling Roads, citizen of McCumber's Blue Eye. Hi, guys. I've been listening for a while now, and I hear you guys referring to magic returning to the world due to Daenerys, dragons, direwolves, red gods, and the White Walkers. I think that's wrong. I believe that once magic... Once magic was very strong in the realm, such as the children of the forest using their magan, magan, magics to create the, the wall to separate them from men, but then it dissipates for some reason. Even the order of the maesters who study it with their Valyrian steel links don't understand it. Like a celestial alignment or perhaps a powerfully ma- magic comet that appears every thousand years or so, it feels like something cyclical and that the return of magic then brings dragons, then brings dragons, direwolves, and krakens under the sea back into the world. And who no, who knows, maybe a new breed of giants will once again walk the land. This is illustrated by pyromancy being much more potent, according to the pyromancers, the red priests who faked having flaming swords now being able to create them, Valyrian steel being able to be forged once once again, magicians of Karth being able to wield real magic instead of tricks and sleight of hand. I see this as evidence of a natural phenomenon and not the manufacturing or suppression of magical energy by the order of maesters, as some suggest." A traveler of the Middling Roads, citizen of McCumber's Blue Eye. That is an awesome email. Thank you for writing in. Um, one thing I thought I was I had thought that the Maesters were um, taking measures to exterminate the dragons to dissipate magic as as if that would play a role. But I like this idea that you're posing of the natural phenomenon and like a sort of natural cycle because it makes me think of a real world phenomenon which um if it's true could it that maybe this is what George based it on um which is really cool. There's so every time a, like a civilization is conquered and it's and destroyed one of the things or taken over one of the things that they lose is their hit their records of history the conquerors destroy their libraries destroy their records to eliminate their you know their their knowledge base and make themselves seem more more large and significant in the grand scheme of things and as history progresses and that old knowledge is forgotten they they occupy a larger space in the sphere of current history and knowledge essentially so they, they destroy other people's history it's happened everywhere um, from the Mayan Mayan scrolls and 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 uh, things being destroyed to like you know libraries being burned and whatnot, but India has largely escaped this process and so their ancient history is still intact. And there's a really interesting 
thing that they that's taught as fact in India and in Hinduism, um, and it's called the cycle of the yugas, and it's a cycle that lasts about twenty six thousand years, and it's based on the concept that our Earth is orbiting our sun along with all the planets of our solar system, and we have this system around our sun, and our sun is orbiting the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, just like everything, everything is moving, you know, we're moving around the sun, the sun is moving around the galaxy, the galaxy is moving through space. There is a suggestion that, and it's taught as fact in ancient India and today, where there is a binary solar body, we can call it, that is in a rotational orbit with our sun. This would be a brown dwarf that does not emit light in a visible spectrum, so we can't see it, but it's lurking out there, and it's it's part of a binary pair with our star, our sun, and they're orbiting around each other. This is likely because, as far as I know, I don't think there's any stars out there that are part of a single system. They're all part of binary, tri, you know, trinary, multiple star systems where there could be like eight stars orbiting one another or two but one it's either very rare or non-existent so just uh, statistically the odds are that our planet is uh, or our sun is orbiting another star as well uh, it's just the time period may be so large that it's hard for us to even comprehend um, may not even like really affect many of our measurements of things uh, if it's like a huge scale like that right so the theory is that during there's two phases one one phase where our sun is moving further away from the the, the the binary star this would be called the ascending phase of the um of the cycle of the yugas it's like twelve and a half thousand years essentially and then there's the descending phase where the where the our sun is moving back towards their uh the binary star and there's must be some the the, the speculation is that there's some type of cosmic Interference, maybe the combined radiation of the the sun, like the secondary sun or something, adding to ours as they move closer together, and we're, we become more affected by that other star as well. It decreases the capacity of the human brain to function. So right now, they, they say that what about ten or eleven percent of our brains are fully active at any given point. The the theory is that. At the peak of the cycle of the yugas, at the at like the top of the ascending, when we're farthest away from this other binary star, that a hundred percent of the human brain is active, um, and it's postulated that during these time periods in history, is that when the largest and most magnificent structures are built on Earth. Like people say that the the Great Pyramid at Giza was built. Um, about 2,500 years ago under the reign of King Khufu in Egypt. But according to Khufu, he found it and re, like restored it. People speculate that it's at least 12,000 years old, as well as the Sphinx, um, due to water erosion that's all around the Sphinx and the enclosure that it's in. Huge amounts of water erosion. So they place the age of the pyramid at at least 12,000 years old. That would put it at the uh, at the peak of this this cycle, which would place humans at this this ability to use our like huge amounts of our brain which is explains how potentially how you know, these multi like the stones that weigh a thousand tons think about a car as like you know a ton two tons you know like you get like a three-ton truck maybe St stones that are a thousand twelve hundred tons perfect rectangles that are placed in places like Baalbek, lebanon things that we can't even accomplish today like in any degree 
Um, so it seems like that you know there are these interesting cycles that may be occurring in real life, and the the, the shortest part of the cycle, the at the bottom of the phase, is called the the Kali Yuga. And it's known as like dark time in history. It lasts about two thousand years. It's the fastest because the, uh, the the gravity where our sun is by the binary star is at the fastest speed. So we sort of slingshot around the other star and head away, and everything starts to slow down. And that so the ascending phase is like a lot longer, essentially. Um, like we have more time where we're, our brains are active, and then decreases. But interestingly, if we're exiting the Kali Yuga now. It, it coincides perfectly with the time period of the Dark Ages and the fall of the Roman Greeks, Greek empires com, then compared with now the rise of our modern civilizations. We have um, Aristotle who taught the heliocentric theory like 2,000 years ago. He knew that the sun, you know, the Earth orbited the sun, and that wasn't discovered again until Galileo. So that's about 2,000 years, the exact length of the Kali Yuga, where we were plunged into an era of darkness and and <laughs> and and lost all this scientific knowledge and things like that. So, long story, still pretty long. Uh, yeah, there's, there <laughs> may be evidence of <laughs> big phenomenons of natural cycles like this. So maybe it's misinterpreting. Um, people may see the dragons as the cause, where it may be just the result of some cosmic cycle and that, like this comet that flew by allowed the dragon eggs to hatch or something like that like you're saying so that's pretty cool i like this email and it brings a lot of questions for like real life stuff into it so awesome thanks for writing kind traveler cool man greetings my lord and lady this is archmaester rennie using the secret technology of the citadel to send my voice to you <laughs> i'm gonna go geographically to call out some things in this episode that introduce what i think are high points and low points of this season Ooh. In the North, of course, the relationship between Jon Snow and Ygritte is a highlight, but one of my biggest disappointments of this season was Kieran Hines as Mance Raider. Mm. I loved him in Rome and in Prime Suspect, and I had high hopes when I heard he'd been cast in this role, but I thought he was just meh as Mance. Little dull. I don't think it was all his fault. I don't think the writers gave him a lot to do in the show. In King's Landing, Joffrey is perfect. There is no imperfection in his awfulness. He is just perfectly awful. <laughs> his cowardice, how savage he is to his mother when she's trying to take his side. What a complete shitbird he is. <laughs> shit the perfection bird. of his awfulness is a perverse highlight of this season with a spectacular payoff in The Red Wedding. Then, painful as it is, the way Tywin turns all the brilliant things and all the very human things that we saw Tyrion do in season two into crimes and misdemeanors plays out brilliantly. He's as blind to Tyrion's talents as he is to Jaime and Cersei's faults, and this blindness leads to his downfall and Tyrion's long fall and ultimate rise back as Hand of the Queen. Hand of the in Queen! Essos, the introduction of Missande, another of my favorite characters, is definitely a highlight. Yeah. Her creative translations show how brilliant and talented she is. I'm still hoping she and Grey Worm get a happy ending. Me too. Sigh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Best line of the episode, Sansa saying, The truth is always either terrible or boring. <laughs> yes. Great Thanks for the great podcasts too. you're doing. Read the books. Hey, Hydra. <laughs> Thanks, Archmaster Rennie. Always, oh, I love that. Thank you so much. You. That was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Hey, Sir Duncan. Hey, Lady Kristen. This is Kira. 
of the Isle of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, I am so mad that I missed um, chiming in on last week's <laughs> um, episode. I love Aria. She is my main girl forever and ever. Amen. Um, but let me get right into it. So, uh, Sam, you had one job. Completely <laughs> screwed that up. But whatever. Okay, he's alive. So, you know, it's all forgiven. Um, uh, thank God that John had a true story to tell Mance Raider because that's the only thing that saved his ass in front of that Truth. man and made him more uh, convincing. Uh, yeah. Next thing is there. I feel like there's a, an ongoing parallel or consistency with Cersei, and that's continuing to bring her friends to Tyrion's room and pinch his tiny little peeny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> super bitch. Uh, and second or fourthly. Um, <laughs> I cannot believe how much luck Davos has. Um, And I'm also noticing that everybody that's still alive, in general, it seems, uh, or is surviving through sheer luck, um, they don't have any heirs. Not a single character on the show has any heirs, except for Sam. I take that back. No, not even him, because that's not his baby. Um, that's his sister's baby. Uh, ew. Um, yeah, Craster has the he, That's not an heir. Ew. I don't... All right, never mind. I'm not getting into it. Oh, my God. Um, and I completely forgot that Rob and his wife found Kyburn. Oh, my God. He, this man has screwed up so much. Yes. Um, it, just back-to-back fuck-ups. He's just like his mother. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, Krasnus is so disrespectful, and I'm so glad he's going to get burned. And Sebastian, as always, is a true G. Oh, yeah. Um, the real thing Preach. that I wanted to talk about um, is that scene between Tywin and Tyrion. There are so many levels, um, in my opinion, to that one scene between the two of them. And, and I think the scene is only about five minutes max. Um, now, as much as Tywin's being a dick, he's not wrong about Tyrion um, not needing to receive accolades for what he did. <laughs> uh, Tyrion had one job, and Tywin told him that it was only as a temporary hand until he returned. Um, however, Tywin did receive a low-key ceremony. <coughs> Horseshit. Um, <laughs> when he was officially named as the Hand, Double but pun. he also just saved King's Landing when the plan was when Tyrion's plan was starting to fall apart. So I guess it's kind of valid, but you know, whatever. Really. Um, <laughs> and I think that Tywin was trying to keep him humble and not make the same mistakes that he's made with Jamie and Cersei with their lack of hubris. Um, I That's think kind. That Tywin was pointedly being really fucking evil to Tyrion only after he asked why he was just being so unfair to him. Um, I think uh, Tywin really does love Tyrion. I think he wanted to shut him down and get him out of that room before he made the confession that he actually does care about him and what his motives are behind um, being a dick to Tyrion. Um and he did a great job of it because Tyrion was shut the fuck down. <laughs> uh, no questions asked after that. If Tywin did show him any love, it would make him look completely vulnerable. And that would put a bigger target on Tyrion's back because he's already the joke of, of King's Landing. He does not seem, nobody mm. takes him seriously at all. Um, so he would be, it would be nothing for anybody to try to take him out. 
um, and you can you might say, how can he love him if he tried to kill him, or at least put him on trial for jo- uh, Joffrey's murder? Um, but I believe that Tywin knew or had a feeling that Jamie would rescue him. Um, Jamie isn't a master of secrets, and Tywin knows how Jamie feels about Tyrion. He wouldn't have demolished his relationship with Jamie by killing Tyrion. And lastly, he could have killed him, Tyrion, when he was born. End of story. Um, I, I think that's it. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on all of that. I'm not sure if anybody else is, uh, you know, I'm sure someone has made that, that stretch to say that Tywin's hate is the way he shows his love for Tyrion, which is still really fucked up. Um, but i love to hear your thoughts. I'm wondering okay. what you guys think about all uh, of the ongoing kind of subtle themes uh, and things that are coming to fruition now. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's going to be four years later. Oh, 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 my God. Did anybody see that video of um, I don't want oh, I don't want to spoil it. That video of things in that world that are happening um, I'm sure it's it's been up, but I'm I'm very excited. I don't care if it's spoiled me or not. I want to see what actually happens. Um, if I'm being too vague, tough titty. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be kind. Um, anyway, that's it. Uh, nice to hear from you guys. Um, can't wait for the next episode. Bye. Thanks so much for your voicemail, Kira. Sorry we're running out of time, so we don't have time to give a full response this week, but at least we got your message out there. Hope to hear from you again uh, next week. Thanks. Hey, Izzy. What? What do you think of the dragon show? I think it's not good. It's not good? I think the car is good. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Your car is Do you like the dragon show? The game? Do you like Game of Thrones? I like this. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Do you think that Tyrion is the Valonqar? Yes. Really? Mm-hmm. What well, he does with tiny hands. Okay. Granny's <laughs> very good at towing. Do you think there's a portal in the God's Eye that leads to the center of the Earth? Yes. Me too. <laughs> Do you think Dragonstone is connected to the God's Eye? Mm-hmm. Through underground tunnels? Mm-hmm. Me too. Me three. Me four. Me three. You are three. And the green duck said, me three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do dragons say? Why? Yeah. What do Targaryens say? I don't know. They say Dracarys. See ya. See ya. See ya. See ya. Yeah, Dracarys is basically like saying, see ya. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be ya. Do you think Valor Morghulis applies to women as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Daenerys doesn't seem to know that. Do you think Clegane Bowl will just be between the mountain and the hound? Yes. Really? Uh-huh. You think Arya will be involved too? Yes. I think so. <laughs> what? Do you think the Hound and Arya were both secretly, covertly resurrected in different episodes? Yes. Me too. Do you think Jaime Lannister was covertly resurrected in Spoils of War? Nope. That's right, because it was the episode after that. (laughs) Nope. 
No. Do you think Jamie is the Valen car? Nope. You think Euron is the Valen car? Nope. What about Arya? Nope. Who is the Valen car? Dazen. Dazen? Mm -hmm. Who's that? Puddles. Oh. <laughs> These are people I haven't met yet. Do you think Jack and Hagar is Rhaegar in disguise? Nope. Me neither. I used to think that, but now I think he's actually Talissa. Nope. Look and at this guy. No, there really is mythological precedent for it. What is Ooh, Interesting. Oh, yeah. What's this? That's the Riverlands. Riverlands? Yeah, see, there's the God's Eye, and that's the Salt Flats. Salt Flats? Mm-hmm, and that's High Heart. High Heart? And that's the Trident. Trident? Yeah. Look, it looks like a hanging eyeball. Hanging eyeball? Yeah, the map looks kind of like an eyeball that's hanging down and looking at King's Landing. Looking. Yeah. Do you think that the Night King is actually Professor Branhatton? No. Really? Because I'm starting to come around on that theory. I think the Night King is not good. Yeah, you're right. He's not good. <laughs> He's bad, and I will hit him with a stick. Really? Mm-hmm. And I will cut him with a knife. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, will it be made out of dragon glass? Mm-hmm. That's good, because that's what could probably hurt him. Do you think Jon Snow knows anything? Yep. Really? What does he know? Like, dragons? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no sun. No sun, yeah, because the long winter is upon us. <laughs> Do you think that Shay is really a faceless man? Uh-huh. <laughs> Me too. Me free. Yeah. What do you think about Varys? Is he good or bad? Good. Really? Uh-huh. He's gotten to you too, huh? Oh, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> what? Well, do you think Daenerys is good? Uh-huh. Well, that's kind of a conflict of interest, if you ask me. You think Barrys will betray Daenerys? Yep. Oh, no. Do you think she'll go mad queen? Yep. Oh, no. Do you think Barrys is going to manipulate her into going all mad queen? <laughs> yep. Oh, jeez. Me too. I thought you said Varys was good. Do you think Varys will get burned? Tomorrow, let's have the best Christmas ever. Okay. Oh my gosh, yeah. that three-year-old was adorable. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Sir Patrick, for the interview with Lady Isabella. She's adorable. Wisdom from the Mouths of Babes. All right. Regarding Season 3, Episode 1, let's, get, let's cut right to the chaise. To the chase. To the... Whatever. Listen. Okay. Look. All right. Here we go. Let's talk about Shay. Let's. Here we see for a second time Shay not wanting to play a game that's similar to the lying game of the Faceless Men. She doesn't want to come up with stories about people and backstories. Yeah, what's up with that? She reveals that she's been to both Dorne and Volantis. In fact, she reveals that she's been... She got onto a ship in Volantis. She's, she wasn't born into prostitution. 
She's never been a scullery maid or a kitchen wench or a servant girl or any kind of menial labor that would translate into those jobs. She's not highborn because she doesn't know how to curtsy. <laughs> she was in Volantis. She got on a ship in Volantis. She's not highborn. She was in Volantis. You're either highborn or you're a slave. But if you're a slave, you have a tattoo on your face. Your face. Ooh, your face. But she has no tattoo on her face. That's true. Could it be that that is not her face, perhaps? <laughs> Could be. She's a faceless man, guys, okay? <laughs> Look at her relationship with Sansa. It's very similar to, to Arya's relationship with Sansa. They don't really get each other. They're not similar. Yet there's somehow a bond there and this protective sisterly quality. That's true. Are we ready to unequivocally accept that she is a faceless man? I wouldn't say unequivocally, but I'd say it's I know I am. possible. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sir Patrick, for your voicemail again this week. Always good to hear from you, my friend. And just in time, we have a last-minute voicemail from Old Man Fezziwig of House Curmudgeon. I've been a listener for a while. Love the show, and you guys are doing a great job. Thank you, Old Man Fezziwig. Love the insights, insights, the tinfoil hat theories, everything. I finally caught up on the rewatch, and I thought I'd throw a couple thoughts your way on this episode. Love Jorah getting a little lippy with Danny on the boat. Another beautiful day on the high seas, with the poor Dothraki barfing on deck while crossing the poison water. <laughs> Tywin is just brutal with Tyrion. That guy really has a problem with whores. <laughs> Hard to watch this, and I think Duncan has mentioned this before, but nobody plays wounded better than Peter Dinklage. Agreed. It's, he is... It hurts to watch him in this episode. My favorite part of the episode is when Marjorie visits the children in the orphanage, primarily orphaned from the Battle of the Blackwater Bay. I must have must have a cynical memory because in, I had it in my head that Marjorie's good deeds were all just a ploy to cozy up to Joffrey's punchable face but this scene shows that her desire to be queen is more than a shallow lust for power as she seems to truly want to use her highborn power for the good of the people it was also hilarious how Joffrey had no idea what was going on sheltered up in his little wagon with hanky in hand being his cunty self <laughs> agreed last but not least John's meeting with Mance Raider was excellent. I know you guys have mentioned this before, and my curmudgeonly memory isn't the greatest, but this seems to be the first time we hear John's I want to fight on the side of the living manifesto. Agreed, I think this is where like it sort of solidifies for him conceptually. Anyways, keep up the great work. I need to get back to my Bengay, reading glasses, and nose hair trimming. Old man Fezziwig, out. <laughs> Thank you so much, old man Fezziwig, for emailing this week looking forward to hearing back from you again soon hopefully all right everybody that's our show episode 63 thanks for listening thank you for listening next week we'll be covering season three episode two dark wings dark words give it a watch and send us your thoughts we'd love to share them on air Yes, and if you get a chance and you like what you hear, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook, whichever one. Give us one, give us both. Uh, yeah. 
That'd be great. <laughs> We'd appreciate it. Yeah. Only if you have something nice to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and if you'd like to call in, you can always call us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Imp slap. Oh. <laughs> We're also on Twitter and Instagram at gompodcast. <laughs> and give us a like on Facebook and an iTunes rating. We would love that. Do it. Mm-hmm. All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening. bit of a come down from the chamber of the hand but then again i suppose you don't need much room grand master Pycelle made the same joke you must be proud to be as funny as a man whose balls brush against his knees <laughs> yup what the what is going on here what is the meaning of this i think that his one mission in life is to be liked and to be loved and i don't think that he knows how to go about doing that i don't think anybody's ever taught him that (laughs) um sorry that's not funny oh gosh i know and like you see marjorie and loris and i swear to you they looked at each other and with their eyes they said well this is gonna be easier than we thought (laughs) yeah yeah she's like gosh it took like a flash of my cleavage and a couple kind words and i've got this guy eating out of the palm of my hand yeah Mm -hmm. i need i need that uh anywhere yes i know (laughs) everybody loves marjorie everybody loves natalie dormer she's beautiful (laughs) Jorah looks like he kind of wants to get down on one knee, you know? Yeah, in front of him, yeah. Right. He's like, Sarah Barristan, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm lost, I think. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah, now I'm getting all nervous about that, yeah. Oh, everybody is. Time ho. Right. Um, Did you just call me a ho? Yep. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to cut that out, don't worry. Uh... (laughs) Oh, you're so weird. I love it. <laughs> I told you I have a sick sense of humor. Pay us, Doritos. <laughs> yeah. Who is the Valencar? Dozen. Dozen? Mm-hmm. Who's that? Puddles. Oh. <laughs> turtle turtle soup or Kristen soup? <laughs> yeah, Which Kristen soup. <laughs> Instead of Kristen eating turtle soup, it'll be turtle eating Kristen soup. <laughs> Perfect. That yeah. that sounds, you know what? That sounds right. <laughs> 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 Definitely. I think the Night King is not good. Yeah, you're right. He's not good. He's bad, and I will hit him with a stick. Really? Uh-huh. I try not to pick favorites, char- favorite characters, because I know that... that um, that and Because I know that is... I'm going to just try this sentence over again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Imp slap. Oh.